Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Classic Gaming Podcast. Today's date... Oh, I skipped the episode. Episode 130. Today's date is June 18th, 2019. I'm Robert Ring, and with me is Johnson Tataru. Do, do you need help doing the intro next time? Yes. I can feed you the date, let you know what episode <laughs> it is. I was like, welcome to episode... You do it. 130. Today's date is... June 18th, 2019. I'm... Ooh. Cupcake? And with me is... Dog do on a stick. Very good. I went to uh, Graceland. I don't know what that is. You don't know what Graceland is? I don't think so. It's uh, Elvis's home. Oh, okay. How was it? Uh, it was pretty cool. I Obviously, that's in Memphis, and um, I was oh, there... Yeah, vis- I was visiting some family and some stuff... Uh, about a week ago and i grew up in memphis but i never ever went to graceland and uh but i did and it was neat was it worth the time uh yeah i'd say so for sure yeah do you listen to a lot of ellis's music today um no i do actually listen to some every now and then but i wouldn't say like i'm a huge fan or anything gotcha i definitely don't listen to it a lot but but i do legitimately listen to it sometimes i do not i have nothing against it just never like Oh yeah, I want to listen to that right. Right, now. right. You know, it's very rare, even yeah. f- like again for, for me who does listen to it sometimes. It's very rare to be like I'm in the mood for Elvis. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, I know, that's exactly that's exactly where my head's at. But I, I did actually listen to t- today. I did get in the mood. I was like, you know, I, I'm gonna listen to a little bit of Elvis. Uh, so that was pretty neat. That was fun. He got some like oh. crazy rooms in his house, and uh, it's 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 interesting to see, um. My stepmom actually put it pretty well. She had been there before, and she's and when I was telling her that we were going to go, she said it's interesting because it looks exactly like kind of what you would expect from somebody who grew up like with nothing and then like skyrocketed into like yeah. insane levels of fame and then had the money to do whatever he wanted with. Uh, that that's that's what the house looks like. That's a very unique way to describe it, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that was neat, but, um, well, we're not here to talk about, El- or we could just make this an yeah, Elvis classic episode. Elvis podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. I bet there's already an Elvis podcast. What do you want to, what do you oh, want to Oh, for sure. I'll bet you start every episode. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then at the, and then at the end, they say, whatever their names are, have left the building. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Today is, um, game of the quarter day. It is. As and? Per- and we will t- we'll be we'll be discussing that in a little bit. First, we got to talk about and some news. First, we got to talk about some news. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of news this time, so let's get going. Hey, this, is gonna be, this is gonna be an incredibly long episode. I can already feel it. I'm oh, it sure. is. And we've gotten a good number of emails too. So, uh, so strap in, strap on, strap on. Yeah. I was gonna say. <laughs> uh, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night has finally been released. This is the Castlevania spiritual successor by the guy who made Castlevania. I forget his name. Was this crowdfunded or just done yes. by a publisher? Okay. Yes, it was a Kickstarter. It was supposed to come out, I think, two years ago. Oh, that's not too bad. Usually you expect at least five years from the initial release. Date. <laughs> yeah, like, honestly, <laughs> it's about standard. Um, and uh, I don't... It's, it's too early to kind of hear what people's thoughts are, but I, from what little I did see, so far, reception is, is pretty positive. So it's not a, uh, you know, one of those situations where everybody is just like fucked, you know. Yep. 
Um, next up, we got um, Blade Runner is a uh, so so there is a an a point and click adventure Blade Runner game that came out you know back <laughs> in the nineties, and it is uh, uh, I think ninety seven. It's supposed to be a really good game, but it's not available. Very surprising. Yeah, yeah, it is surprising. It's supposed to be really good, um, but it's not available to purchase or you know or anything like that anywhere. Sure. Um, however, some uh, some people just finished like porting the game and making it uh, able to run on on Scum VM, which is like a uh, essentially kind of like a not not DOS box, but basically an emulator <laughs> for point and click adventure games. Makes sense. And so that is running on there. Uh, that's I haven't had time to really look into it and find out any more details about that. But for anybody who's into uh, into that kind of stuff, Blade Runner is now on there. May be interested in checking that out. I wouldn't be surprised if it if now it's maybe not too far from ending up on GOG. Dude, GOG is on fire right now. <laughs> They're so good. Yeah, yeah, they are. Do you know who owns GOG? Uh, yeah, CD Projekt Red. I didn't know that. I found I was buying something from GOG a couple weeks ago and I saw that and I messaged my friend who is a very big fan of GOG as well. I was like, did you know that it's owned by CD Projekt Red? He's like, no, I love them even more now. <laughs> like just one, of all the developers that are, you know, shitting all over their, their um, consumers, it's like they just never do that. Oh, right. Yeah. I totally agree. Speaking of GOG. Yeah. And speaking of GOG doing awesome stuff uh, and speaking of our game of the quarter. The Hellfire expansion for Diablo 1 is now um, included with Diablo when you buy it on GOG. Wow. Uh, and if you already have it, as as we do, then you automatically just get it for free. Dude, thank you. Let's see. That's the kind of stuff I want to hear. <laughs> I'm sad that I didn't get a chance to play it. Uh, I, I, was hoping Actually, to, me too. I was hoping to get like maybe uh, at least an hour of it in. Just to kind of see what it's like, but I didn't get a chance to play it at all. We could play it again sometime in the future. Maybe just talk about it briefly on then one of the future episodes. Yeah, yeah, we can. I'll be down to it. I have yeah. a lot of fun playing, so I'd be more happy to. All right. Our yeah, we can do that. Uh, the Contra Anniversary Collection has been released. It's on all the three consoles and PC. It has the arcade Contra, the NES Contra, the Famicom Contra, uh, Super Contra for arcade, Super C for NES. Contra 3, The Alien Wars, SNES. Um, I'm not familiar with this one. I guess it's kind of like a spinoff, but Super Probotector. <laughs> colon Was alien, that a sentence? Super Probotector Alien Rebels <laughs> for Super Nintendo. <laughs> Interesting strategy. Contra Hardcore for Sega Genesis. Uh, just regular Probotector. <laughs> Can't get enough of that name. For the Mega Drive and Operation C for Game Boy. Uh, those are all in the collection. Oh. So that's a sounds like a pretty solid collection if you're a Contra fan. Um, and then we had, well, we'll go. Like, you know, I'll save that stuff for last. A couple other things. Uh, uh, I guess the last. I guess the last thing until we get to the rest of the main stuff here. Konami, and I didn't realize that they were the ones who made the Turbo Graphics 16, but they have announced. A Turbo Graphics 16 Mini. What? What yeah. does that mean? Uh, you know the Turbo Graphics 16, right? I don't think so. It was a console. Okay. What what year range? Mid 90s. Okay. Um, 
It was a, uh, and I actually had one, and it got lost over the years, unfortunately. But uh, this was a, um, th- this is what Bonk was on. That was like the big, the big game for this. <laughs> They've an- announced the Turbo Graphics 16 Mini. They've only announced uh, a few of the games that are going to be on it so far, uh, and basically no other details yet. But uh, the games that are going to be on it, well, the games that they've announced that are going to be on it so far are R-Type, New Adventure Island, Ninja Spirit, which I which I do remember, and that was a, a pretty solid kind of like ninja action game uh, with with really cool graphics, if memory serves me correctly. East Book 1 and 2, at least I think that's how you pronounce it, is the RPG series uh, that's spelled Y-S. You know what I'm talking about? Mm. No? Okay. Sorry. Dungeon Explorer and Alien Crush. I'm not really familiar with any of these besides R-Type and Ninja Spirit and, and, and somewhat East. Um, Alien Crush, they, they kind of like showed some gameplay. Alien Crush is like a alien pinball game. Okay. All makes sense. Makes sense. Is R-Type an R-Type? Yes, it is. <laughs> Believe it or not. Um, and uh, that's all. That's, that's I think, literally all we know so far. No release date, no cost, gotcha. no... Mention of how many games are eventually gonna, you know, they're, are they're gonna announce or anything else, but that's kind of interesting and potentially, potentially really cool. I like it, but we've seen enough mini systems not do well to, you know, to be cautious. I'd say. And then we had E3. Oh man, let's 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 start from the top, okay? Um, let's let's keep this relatively brief. You yeah, know how yes. this is going. <laughs> I mean, uh, the simple story is everybody sucks except for Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> um, I well maybe okay. Let's yeah, generally okay. Generally, maybe so. Destroy <laughs> all humans. The remake for that is coming out in 2020. Pretty excited um, about that. that. Looks fun. As are fun. you? I never played that. Is that a good game? I don't know. A lot of people after it came out, a lot of my friends would tell me that they really enjoyed it and they recommended I play it. And I watched some gameplay footage. It looks fun. It looks very simple. Very fun. That's kind of the impression that I always got of it, but but I, but it occurred to me that I never really paid much attention, so I don't really know. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, they showed gameplay for the Battletoads remake that is oh, yeah. going to be coming out. I don't know if they announced a release date or anything for that. Did you see that? I did see it. I didn't see a release date. Um, what'd you think? Oh, it's interesting. I, I like Battletoads, but I'm not like a diehard Battletoads person, so I was like, okay. Good for people who are like really excited about it. I Doesn't feel... do much for me. I think my level of appreciation is probably about the same as yours. I like it. I'm not die hard. I did yeah. used to really enjoy it. I got it the chance little. to play it. Great. If not, no big deal. Um, I thought the remake, I didn't really care for the way it looked. Yeah. The, what was it about it that bugged you? It was super cartoony. It reminded Sweet. me of how, if how, um, it reminded me of, for instance, uh, modern day Transformers cartoons compared to original Transformers cartoons, where it's kind of like everything is really exaggerated and the colors yeah. are a little bit like it's like there's less detail, more exaggeration. And I just don't really care for that style. I mean, I, honestly, this screenshot that you just sent me, <laughs> this does look good, <laughs> I think. Um, some of the other ones I'm finding are not so hot. Like, it, okay. it, it doesn't look... It looks. I'll be honest with you. The hard, the thing that I'm struggling with in some of these pictures, pictures is it's kind of uh, hard to understand what's going on. Look at, like, look at the picture I just sent right now. Like, I would struggle to know what the fuck is going on there. Well, I mean, if you're playing though, maybe it wouldn't be so bad. But I mean, you got all like 
you could say the same thing about Smash Brothers, you know. Oh, there's a Smash tournament this last weekend I watched. So good. <laughs> anyway, we'll see. I, I these these screenshots that you're sending me now, I think they honestly look good. So maybe I was just in a bad mood or something when I saw it. But when I saw it, I was like, oh, I don't like this. But anyway, that's coming out. Uh, Age of Empires 2 Definitive Edition. For the ninth release, what is this, Diablo 3? <laughs> I am excited and I'm probably going to buy it, but still. <laughs> uh, Double Fine, this is interesting, is joining Xbox Game Studios. Um, and they announced Psychonauts 2. I did see that. So that's a uh, that's happening, I guess. Square Enix stuff. Yes. We got some footage, some more footage for Final Fantasy VII. Yep. What'd you think? Looks about as good to be expected. I think uh, I think they did a good job. Visually looks great. The characters' voices seem to align pretty well. I'm still curious to see what they're going to do with, with the story. I mean, Final Fantasy VII is a very convoluted story and kind of hard to understand unless you do a lot of deep diving. So I'm curious to see if they're going to keep that essence or if they're going to try and round off some of the, the rough edges and maybe simplify certain parts of it, which honestly I'd be okay with because of how kind of out there pieces of the story are. Um, I thought it looked really good also. Yeah. Kind of looked fun. Yeah, it looked like it potentially, shot. yeah, definitely. Um, they announced a deluxe edition and a first class edition of the game. Also deluxe edition is 80 to bucks and it comes with like, I don't know, an art book and shit. The first class edition comes with a cloud, uh, a statue of cloud on his motorcycle. It would have thrown out a mesh, though. <laughs> I know. Another <laughs> mesh shortage going on. We're all screwed. There might be. Yeah, you might get a rubber version of that. Yeah. Um, it's 330 bucks. Dude, these freaking collector's editions are out of hand. There, there's, I, I love watching these YouTube series where it's like top 10 most ridiculous collector's editions. And it's just... $250, and it's like this little figurine in a booklet or something. It's just like, oh my god. I just love that. Not saying this is that, but, you know, I'm just not a huge collector's edition person. Right. Uh, I'm not too much either. Every once in a while I will spring for it, but honestly, the only time, the only one that that comes to mind is is Metal Gear Solid Five. And maybe... I actually don't know. Maybe that's even it. So yeah, I can't I'm not, last time. Yeah, I'm right there I'm with not, you. I'm not huge on them either. Usually, they just don't have. Usually, like there's nothing really extra. Like it's like, no, I don't really care about this and that. I, you know, I feel like re- for me, a collector's edition would have to be a reaction buy, and afterwards, I'd be like, wait, what did I just do? Like most things, <laughs> where I'm like, oh shit, Breath of the Wild two collector's edition. Yeah, I'm gonna play the crap out of that game. Let me buy the collector's edition. Like at home, like wait, what? Why did I buy this? Like, I'm just gonna play the game, put this in a box. Like, yeah. Um. Square Enix said that um, they don't know how many episodes it's going to end up, the whole series. I'm okay with that. Being. I think that's a great way to go about it. I, I'm glad they're not trying to put themselves in a box. I think depending on the, the consumer's uh, reception of it, they may expand more on certain characters. Maybe they'll dive deeper, different directions. I'm okay with it. I mean, it's, it's interesting. We've never seen something like this before. and I'm kind of excited about it. I do agree um, with you on that. The only thing... That that makes me ask is like I had kind of so this was announced in what like 2015 something like yeah. that something and like it was supposed to come out in 2017. Does this mean that they've only just been working on this episode for the past four years? 
they, they've probably been working on this, like the system, so that they can produce more out of it. If you know I what hope I mean, so, yes, I hope so. I, I would think so, but I don't know. I hope so too. I think they spent a lot of money on their MMO, which is doing really well. So maybe that's where a lot of the resources went. Maybe. It just makes me like also wonder how. What year is it going to be when it's finally complete? Yeah, seriously, it'll it'll probably be like five to ten years. I would not be surprised. Like at this yeah. rate, ten years is not surprising at all. Yeah, and if it's good, great. I mean, you right, know, yeah, the yeah. Wild's another one where I'm like, the first one came out. It's one of the best games to date. And then we're going to get a second one and they built it in the same universe. I'm like, okay, like just keep doing that. Like stop trying new things. Like just do that. Mm -hmm, Yeah. So uh, I guess we'll see on that, but it does look, it does really look cool so far. Square Enix also announced Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles remastered for PS4 and Switch. Do you know, do you know, are you familiar with that one? Yeah, I saw it. Okay. Final Fantasy. Okay, they announced they have officially released the Final Fantasy soundtracks now. <laughs> um, and uh, is that all from Square Enix? I think so. Seven was the only thing that really stuck on my mind that they did, anyways. I don't oh, think we need to dive into too much. There was a Game Informer article that where they interviewed uh, I forgot who it was from Square Enix. One of the one of the main guys, maybe the main guy. And um, they are they are working on porting essentially their entire back catalog uh, to digital <laughs> distribution. The president and CEO, yeah, Yosuke Matsuda. Oh. Um, so he says, yes, they are working on it. It's like what he says is basically they're working on making everything available, which is kind of a huge task. Uh, the problem is that a lot of the stuff is just lost. And Ouch. so that's kind of been a, a uh, an obstacle for them. It says, that according to, um, this is again on, on Game Informer. I'll just read this these two sentences from the article. Matsuda wouldn't say specifically which titles have gone missing, but did share the great lengths they can travel. In one case, a developer who had left the company had the code on his PC. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Thankfully, it was able to be dug up and successfully revived. So that's the level of, like, how scattered this stuff is. Uh, one thing that did concern me a little bit about this, though, reading this, this is just a short article, uh, is that they seem, they, the, the the president, Matsuda, keeps saying that they're exploring potentially... Uh, making them streamable or making a subscription service available to play them. Okay. As I'm opposed a, to purchasing them all one by one. Yeah. As opposed to buy Everybody's them. trying to do the, the steam GOG model. Seriously. Everybody yeah. is doing it. It's, it's kind of scary. I wish they would just get in bed with one of the big ones. Um, even if, even still, I, that doesn't bother me too much, but I would like them to be purchasable and not just, mm. Okay, you can pay us a subscription and and play these every now and then, you know, or you know, play whatever you want. I just I like to own games and not you know basically sure. just rent them out. Um, so I think that's all the Square Enix stuff. Uh, Nintendo Trials of Mana remake, uh, aka Seiken Densetsu Three, has been announced for early two thousand twenty. 
pretty interesting. Also, yep. they released Collection of Mana, which comes with Final Fantasy Adventure, which is actually a, uh, a Mana series game, Secret of Mana, and for the first time available uh, with English translation officially released, Trials of Mana, again, Second and Setsu 3. So the original is in Collection of Mana, which is out now. Uh, and before now, you had to either play like a fan translation or just play the Japanese version. So that's kind of huge because Sega Densetsu 3 is supposed to be a, a really, really great RPG. Have you ever played it? Nope. I uh, All I know is that it's supposed to be awesome. <clears throat> um, and actually, I think that might be, I think that's it for news. I thought there was some more stuff. Whoa, whoa, whoa. A couple things. Okay. Nintendo also announced Breath of the Wild, obviously. We talked about that. Uh, how about the Bethesda show? <laughs> did you see the shit show that they showed? Um, I think I did, but I don't remember much of it. It was bad. So they, they announced a bunch of bullshit. They announced that their Fallout 76 is going to have a battle royale future, which is just exactly uh, what everybody wanted. What? They're adding NPCs back to it. It's, I don't need to go into details, but they just announced a bunch of garbage. And, they, and the best part about it is every time they would announce something, the crowd would go batshit. And the people in the first two rows were like standing up and applauding for... For like Fallout 76. I did see that. I'm like, what the? I was like, no, no. why? Here's why? the thing. Somebody, somebody leaked and said that apparently Bethesda paid the audience. Nobody can confirm it, but somebody came out on social media and they were like, yeah, the people in the front row, like the front center row, were paid to be there by Bethesda. And based on their reactions to the dumbest shit in the world, <laughs> I completely believe that. All right. Even that, let me just do the big ones. Sorry. Let me just, let me just, real quick, let me just interject one, two quick things. One, that sounds. Uh, very conspiratorial. Oh, hundred percent. Two, I also believe it. <laughs> yeah, like it, when you watch because I watched the majority of it and majority of E three, and it was like people were generally cheering for things that were good, except for like sometimes they would everybody would just go nuts for the dumbest reason. Yeah, but during the Bethesda one, it was like people were just like they acted like they were a rock. They were standing up and clapping for yeah. just standing like ovation for, for Fallout seventy six related stuff. Yeah, so, I I agree. I, even even watching it, I kind of got that vibe of like of like same. these seem like potentially paid people, which is like God, oh, just stop, just stop. Whatever you get, whoever is giving you guys direction, stop. <laughs> He's just doing the worst things ever. That, that was that was unfortunate. See, I, I thought this was going to be one of those times where Bethesda was going to truly redeem themselves, but it seems like they're just going down the same path. So we'll see. We'll see on the next titles they release. Whew. Um. Two other things. One, uh, Blizzard opened up Classic Beta for Classic WoW. Ooh. It has substantially more viewership than their actual premiere title, Modern WoW. There are streamers that have more viewers than the entire World of Warcraft fan base. Their tournament was going on this weekend, and there was a streamer who had four to six times as many viewers Damn. as the tournament. Streaming Classic. Project looks really good. Blizzard needs to make some... some Serious adjustments to it, but it's looking good. Release date is still scheduled for August 27th. Very excited. Um, and the second thing is, I told you a little bit, I've been t I told you about Auto Chess last time we were talking. Yes. You remember when I said I thought this was going to be a big game? Yes. It's massive. So Dota, the, the Valve, the company that owns Dota, they released their own version of the game. It was dog shit. They made this mobile version, really watered down, simplified version of the game. Really, really bad. Um, oh, and really? Then another yeah, and then another, and that's not doing well. Another developer made one, also did okay. And then Riot, the guys who own League of Legends, made one. It releases next Tuesday. 
Okay. What do you think? What What, what are your expectations? It looks really good. It's no, I've, I've watched it. My, you can play beta today, and oh, okay. it looks really good. It has more viewership than League. <laughs> on, on really? On Holy right shit! Yes, it is blowing up. Their servers okay. are full, so I think this is the next big thing, at least to an extent. This is going to be a big thing for a while. You you got to get on on this early. If anybody who is who is big into strategy games playing the next big thing, bye bye bye. What'd you say? Bye yeah, bye bye. bye. Now, bye now. Uh, yeah. interesting. Okay, that'd be, an, that'd That's be all cool to see how that comes. Like, is this going to be the next uh, fucking PUBG? Uh, I think it'll be a rather big esport. There already are tournaments going on. A Curry already has a league for it. Really, really good players. Very fun game. There's a lot of diversity to it. I think it will be a big thing. I think it'll be bigger than Hearthstone, but maybe not quite the size of the Fortnites, the League of Legends, the the triple, the big dogs, if you will. Okay. So. How about uh, one more thing to discuss? How about Keanu Reeves? <laughs> yeah, it was dope. That I thought it was really awesome. Great. Yeah, it was dope. I, I, we do talk about Cyberpunk. Not There's not really much to talk about. I mean, no. I will say the one thing that really is annoying me about game shows, uh, video game presentations... Stop showing me cinematics and show me gameplay. I really don't give yeah. a shit how much time you put into making some polished video that you can show us to get everybody amped. I'm done with that. Like, it doesn't do anything for me. When you go up there and show a 30-minute, 90-second, or excuse me, 30 to 90-second cinematic, and it looks great, and then a year later we see gameplay, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's the same game? <laughs> show gameplay. Show off Show off what is exciting about the game. Don't try to grab people with these garbage cinematics and i love when the cinematics try to introduce this really convoluted complex story in 30 seconds and then somehow try to pull you in with it it's like just don't do that just show the gameplay talk about the high points talk about the bragging points show us what the game actually entails yeah just i was so microsoft did that the entire time it was just like here's our next title you've never heard of it before boom 60 seconds cinematic you know nothing about the gameplay you saw some (laughs) cinematic with characters and it's just like ah stop just show me the game you know i find they make I find that a lot of people or a lot of like game publishers, um, I mean, I guess I feel, it feels kind of, uh, pompous to, to outright call it a mistake because, you know, I don't know what data they have that says maybe this works, but I, I would say it's a mistake that I see made a lot, not just in presentations, but, but also on, uh, steam pages and GOG pages, there will be a video of the game. And if it's a game that I might be somewhat familiar with, or I don't really know, but I happen to stumble upon it. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. Let me see what the gameplay is like. So I'll, you know, click to watch exactly. the, the preview video. And it's the same exact damn thing. It's just cinematics of the story or something. I'm like, right. I have no idea what the, what I'm doing, you know, what the gameplay is in this. Yeah. I, I, I mean, today, so when I was younger, cinematics were the right way to go. You could throw a cinematic up there and literally have like stick figures behind it. And I'd be like, I'm buying that game. Not even going to think about it twice. Now it's like the second I see cinematics, I'm like, these people have nothing to show. They either have nothing to show or they don't think their product would engross people enough just by showing the gameplay. That That's the first thing that comes to mind now. Uh-huh. And Nintendo Nintendo showed a lot of gameplay. Uh, somebody else did too. Bethesda was like the worst about showing fucking cinematics. God. Or um, or just t- like a title. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, fuck. Yeah, yeah. I, these guys have got to get better. They spend so much money on this do a better job. Like if you really want to get people into your game, 
do a better job if you're going to waste the money. And also, stop putting no names up there. Microsoft just kept throwing out these titles with these people's names. And it's like, who the fuck are you? And then, obviously, CD Projekt Red was like, here's Keanu Reeves. And everybody's like, yep, sold, 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 sold <laughs> yeah. to the highest bidder. Did you see, uh, there was, I saw a hilarious meme that somebody posted on Reddit. The I don't think it was the next day, but maybe like a day or two afterward. Obviously, everybody was freaking out about Keanu Reeves, and somebody oh, posted. Yeah. Somebody posted. Uh, it said like, um, this week. It says, "Oh no, no!" It said, "Uh, Keanu Reeves when he visits Reddit this week," and it was C three PO in Return of the Jedi being carried by the Ewoks, saying, oh, yeah, uh, right? "They appear to think I'm some sort of god." <laughs> yeah. And, and to, to be honest with you, I, I love Keanu Reeves. Like, I that was whatever. Like, oh, it, I it doesn't. It doesn't entice me to play that game more. That game already looks crazy interesting. Yeah. It's, it's a nice added feature, but yeah, I just enough with the Eric, you know, Dudorf, the president of whatever the fuck he is, comes out and, <laughs> hey, I'm really excited to tell you about game we working on for the last six months, and here it is. And then you watch the cinematic, and he's like, all right, see you guys later. It's like, who cares? Like, just don't talk. Just don't talk. Just go out there, point at the screen. And that's it. That's that's your job. That's your job in a nutshell. You don't say a single fuck word. Maybe give the crowd a wave, like the Diana wave, and then point at the screen. Wave that's to, it. Wave to your paid actors. Yeah, yeah, give right. you a standing ovation. <laughs> yeah, that, that really bugged me. I, I was really excited. I, I'm glad E3 happened, and I got a lot of good out of it. Um, but yeah, that, that shit was just like, ah, stop. Please stop. <laughs> yep. Well put. All right. Um, okay, so that's all, that's all we got for news. Okay. Let's talk about video games. Jay, All right, we're this... going to do a virtual coin flip. You ready? Okay. Heads or tails, Robert? Heads. Ooh, what does that mean? It means one. Does that mean you go or I go? Did I guess it right? Well, that's what I'm asking you. So if it's tails, I think if it's, if it's heads, heads, then I get to pick. We'll do it like oh, NFL style. Well, it's yeah. heads. So. I get to pick. So uh, I always prefer to save the game of the quarter for last but oh i I was talking more about our games wait did you not play a game for this time i did okay i was like mother okay okay sorry (laughs) what i'm saying is you like to do the game of the quarter first typically i like to do it last this one is your game of the quarter so i will so i will divert back to you and let you choose whether you want to talk about that first or our other games i'm probably doing it second to be honest with you because i actually enjoy both of them so normally it's like the game of the quarter is either like hot shit or just a pile of garbage. Hot shit's probably not a good thing to say, but uh, it's either really, really good or really, really bad. So right. both, this time, both are pretty damn enjoyable. So I'm, I'm fine with holding off. Okay, I'll go ahead and do and get my and just get mine out of the way because mine aren't going to take sure. very long. And then, uh, and then actually, you go first. Okay, I played a new game. I, I played a game that I grew up with. I played this a lot with a close friend of mine. Um, we sat and did a hot seat. It's a single player game, but it, we did hot seat for a good amount of it. I probably watched seventy percent of the time. Because uh, I didn't fully understand the game, because it's a little bit complicated. But this game was amazing. Um, I played Icewind Dale too. So Ooh. Icewind Dale is a literal a- adaptation of D anD. d So you essentially take the D anD. d rules and they put it into sort of you know an active RPG. Is it D anD. d licensed? I don't know actually. Okay. Uh, Icewind Dale is real time adaptation of D anD. d Third Edition. Okay, that means, I don't know. That basically means yes. Okay. Um, so it's a top-down RPG. You have a party of six. At the beginning of the game, you get to uh, you get to decide if you want to create a party or use one of the preset ones. 
I decided to do one of the preset ones because I knew if I tried to do one of the custom ones, I would spend 60 hours making a composition just to try and get through the game. And then I would end up just being bored after making my party. So I did one of the preset ones, which just kind of gives you the basic, you know, you got your tank, you got your bruiser, you got your assassin thief type, you got your casters, you got a healer, and then you got something else, right? You get like a sixth, whatever you want to do, usually doubling down on one of the other uh, classes. So this game is extremely story-driven. Um, there is obviously combat to it, and the combat is pretty cool. It's it's nice. It's got some, some interesting mechanics to it, uh, but this is very story-driven. And I went into this game knowing that, so I didn't try to zerg my way through it or, or span through chat. Um, I tried to really immerse myself in this game and it's really, really good. And it does it, it, it makes it so simple to do. The music is fantastic. The actual sceneries, the, the visualization aspect of the game, it aligns very, very well with the music and the characters are likable and realistic and their dialogue is good. And for the, a lot of the main characters, they give you, there's voice actors, but for some of the minor characters that you interact with, you know, basic shopkeeps, uh, in, in holders, et cetera, et cetera, they're just, you know, just written dialogue. So the game starts out in a, it's in a very comical manner. So you basically arrive on this boat, and the dude's like, hey, we're here. Um, you were brought here to help the town. They're under attack, right? So they're going to attack by goblins. You're basically mercenaries. Just in time. Right? And so the guy's like, so you get off the boat, and you walk up to this dude, and the six of you guys are there. And, and the way you move is you, you can essentially individually move the characters, or you can move them as a, as a whole. Um, think of like almost like Diablo, right? You're, you're right-clicking, you're highlighting your characters, and then you can right-click. Well, I guess you don't have to highlight Diablo, but you kind of right-click your way around, and you can interact with objects as well. So you walk up to the, the edge of the dock, and the guy's like, who the fuck are you? You're like, uh, I'm here to help. He's like, no, no, we asked for mercenaries. We asked for people who could actually help us. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Dick. And, and this is where the game begins. So you, you get options for a dialogue, right? And primarily, you obviously want to put your, your most charismatic person up first because you can you have different stats that you can, you can um, give to your characters. Obviously, charisma is one of them because it's very D&D-esque. So you can talk to the dude and you're like, dude, I'm here to help. And he's like, yeah, but you have wooden weapons. Okay, dude, like, don't be a dick, right? So you, you kind of go back and forth and he's like, fine, fine, fine. He's like, All right, so I want you to go find this dude. He's in the city somewhere. If you can, just like clean through the houses, make sure the goblins die. And that, that's it. You're, you're in the world. You basically leave that dude. And it's not open world, but the area is open to you. It's kind of like a, a playground with fences. So there's certain things you can do to progress the story. You can also do a bunch of side stuff. You can loot the houses. You can go talk to people randomly in town. Occasionally, you run into some goblins and you have to kill them. But there's a couple of characters that stuck out immediately that were hilarious to me. So you, the guy's like, hey, I want you to go to the warehouse. Uh, my buddy's over there. He needs help. So you get there and the dude at the warehouse is like, hey... And you're like, hey, you're missing an arm. He's like, yeah, it's pretty bad. Okay. <laughs> so at that point, he's like, um, I try, I closed the door in the warehouse. There's a bunch of goblins in there. You're not going to be able to do it yourself. It's like, okay, thanks, Dick, again. So he's like, uh, you can go to the inn. Uh, we have some other mercenaries there. They're waiting for you to come get them. You can go ask the military for help. Also, I need a medic because my arm's kind of missing. So right there, you have, you have you get this, this option of what you want to do. So I go to the inn first because I was like, oh, it's pretty close. It's just in town. Hack and slash my way through a couple goblins, clear some houses out. I go to the bar and the barkeep is listening intently to this big douchey looking guy who's standing up, who's telling a story. And there's a bunch of people sitting in chairs around him. And the guy's like telling the story. And it's one of those situations where you walk in and then he's like, and then I said rubber ducky. And, you know, everybody starts laughing. It's one of those kind of situations. Right. And so you walk up and you talk to the barkeep and he's like, don't interrupt. I'm listening to that guy. <laughs> Okay, so I go talk, I, I'm like, I'm waiting for the story to progress, but it's not. They're just kind of sitting there going back and forth. So I go over and talk to the dude, and he's like, what? You just interrupted me in the middle of my story. And it's like, the town's under attack. They need your help. He's like, no, it's not. If the town's under attack, I would know. I'm like, yeah, there's a dude missing an arm over there. 
the warehouse is full of goblins. They need help. And he's like, all right, let me finish my story. Okay. So I'm like sitting there and he's like telling a story, but it really doesn't progress from there. You have the, the next key is you have to talk to him again in order to progress the story. So I'm like, okay, I'll give him a minute. I go talk to the barkeep. Barkeep's like, you're a dick. Okay. So you kind of, you get, maybe you have mince words with the barkeep and eventually he's like, get out. <laughs> and it's like, Jesus. So I go talk to the guy before I leave again. And he's like, yeah, I'm not helping you. Sorry. You're, he's like, you interrupted my story. You did it twice. I'm not going to help you. And he just stays there. And that's it. That's the end of that arc. So you're like, all right, I screwed something up in the dialogue with this guy. And now he's not going to help me. So then I go find the medic. I find the medic. The medic's great. It was pretty simple stuff. I had to help him a little bit. Uh, ultimately, it gives me what I need to help the dude. So I go talk to the military. The military's like, uh, no, that's why you're here. You're supposed to deal with the goblins. We don't have the resources to help you. Great. So you go back to the dude. You have the medical kit. He's like, where's the army? Uh, you're staring at it. Oh, interesting. I told you to bring more people. Yeah, I couldn't get any more people. Okay, well, we're fucked. Uh, do you want to go inside anyways? All right, sure. So you go inside the, the warehouse, and it, it was actually pretty challenging. Uh, I ended up clearing, you end up clearing out the, the warehouse. Uh, down below, you find out where the goblins are coming from, because essentially one of the key points of the early story is they keep appearing in town, but nobody knows where they're coming from. And what they did is they had, they had sappers that kind of blew up in this tunnel. They were able to come into the, the basement of this warehouse, and they've been flooding out since. So that's like the first arc that you do in the game. And it was super fun. The, 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 the dialogue you have with people, the options you're given. I, I was trying to I, I'd understand my characters and act, act on their behalfs how I think they would do based on their personalities that I'd seen so far. So it made it very interesting, especially for the dialogue part. Because at first I'd be like, okay, I'm going to be nice to this person. Okay, they're a dick. Okay, I'm still going to be nice. I'm going to try and work this out. Okay, they're still being a dick. All right, now I'm going to tell this guy I don't fucking need his help and he can stay here. <laughs> It's like, fuck this guy. Like, I'm just going to leave. He can do his own thing. I hope the goblins come and kill you. And sometimes your characters say some pretty brutal things. Maybe not to that degree, but they say some pretty aggressive things that are pretty that are entertaining. And it keeps the it keeps the dialogue going. Uh -huh. uh, the overall combat is is pretty simple. I had to, the UI is a little bit complex. There's a lot of stuff going on with it. I had to actually sit there for about 20 minutes and hover over each icon to understand what they are. So I could start memorizing them for different spells and how to attack. Um, your thief can go into stealth and scout ahead for you so they can check for like large amounts of mobs they can also use thief type things like opening doors uh disarming traps Bunch, very very dndsk right so you can pace yourself throughout the the game i was walking very slowly through everything because i just didn't want to get overwhelmed and then the combat's pretty simple you basically command your characters to do what you want to do obviously you send your frontline in first you tell your casters to either heal or you can have them do attacks you have very limited spells just like dnd so you're you have to use them very sparingly early on and they do a lot. They're super effective, but you only have a few of them. So oh, when you right. use it's the, like you use one a day, basically. Kind of, right? Yeah, exactly. And you have like the, the, the rest you can do to help recover some of your spells, uh, which is great. So it, it makes the resources very limited. I haven't lost a character yet, so I don't know what happens. I've gotten very close. Uh, one of the, I fought the goblin boss, and he almost killed one of my casters. And I was like, oh, shit. But beyond that, I was pretty good. Uh, what else? Set music is good. Combo's cool. Um, oh, the, the, there's a very D&D &D mechanics as well as you have limited bag space or you, you have a good amount of bag space, but you have a weight limit. And if you get to that weight limit, your character, whichever character has the weight starts to slow down. And see, so you have to kind of trade items around and there's, you get a oh, lot really? of items in this game. Yeah, you, you get a lot of items. So I got, I probably, I probably received like 20 or 30 different weapons. 
at least 15 pieces of armor and then assorted other goods. And it's great because you're getting all these like kind of trashy items, but they're upgrades because you just started the game. So you're kind of cycling armor. It's like, okay, this guy's my my main tank, right? He's he's in the front line. He's getting this new chest piece. His old one, I'm going to give it to my secondary tank because his other one was garbage. And then when I get an upgrade from a main tank, it's like every single time it becomes a hand-me-down for the other guy. So every time you get an item, it's it's really impactful. Uh, which is super cool. Huh. I haven't done too much with leveling up, getting further abilities or attributes, um, but this game is very fun. It, it's it's you have to be in the right mind space for it. Usually, I play on the weekends when I'm a little bit more relaxed and I can immerse myself in it. If I play during the week, it's a little bit rough because you know you kind of the rat race mentality. Your your head's kind of moving pretty quick. Um, trying to think what else. I think that's kind of everything. I'm going to be playing this for a little while, so I'll probably be talking about it at least one more episode uh, of the podcast as I play through it. But it's a really good game. And the intro, I forgot to mention this, the intro is, is uh, dialogue, but it's uh, voice voice acted. And it's actually a pretty gripping story. It's, it's a pretty gripping introduction, rather. Really? Uh, they, they do, it's, it's relatively short, so you're not sitting there just like, oh my God, hurry up. It's like four or five paragraphs, maybe. It's not super bad. Um, but it's, it's an interesting story, and it kind of sets you up for what you're going into. So um, all in all, it's, it's a pretty, pretty enjoyable experience so far. I am excited to play through more of it. This game is regarded very positively so i imagine the game only gets better from the beginning um yeah i think it's everything sounds pretty solid yeah so far it's it's very very good i don't know much about the series but i had thought that it was a little bit more kind of action based than what you made it seem like but it sounds like that's really not the case at all it can be if you want it to be like you can just skip over a lot of the dialogue and, and run through it and just try to action your way through the game but What's the point? You know what I mean? Like we play D and D. You don't play D and D to swing your weapon around and chop things to pieces, right? We usually right. do it to interact and and to explore the world that that we have created for us. So if you go with that mindset, that's that's the exact mindset I tried to not go into this with because sure. I knew I'd get burned out very quickly and I'd probably get stuck because I'm not paying attention to the story. Whereas right now, like I actually kind of care about some of the characters that are involved with what I'm doing and I want to help certain ones because of the interactions I've had with them so far. So okay, sweet. Is that uh that's your only one besides game of the quarter? That's the game of the quarter, yeah. All right. I've got uh two pretty quick ones. I had I had hoped to play something more substantial, but I'm I'm playing three games right now that are more substantial, so uh unfortunately I didn't get to finish any of them. So I play these two uh shorter ones in the meantime and I'll be able to talk about it. hopefully hopefully at least two of these next time. But uh, the ones that I played are, the first one is Columns. This is a Tetris-like game. It is. Um, it was on Sega Genesis. I forgot which, what year. I forgot to look it up. And I, I used to actually, I used to own this on Game Gear. Hmm. But, uh, Game Gear. I know. I'm trying to look it up, see what year it came out. Uh, it looks like 19... Whoa. Okay, the original was 1989. But that must have been an arcade version or something like that. Anyway, whenever the Sega Genesis one came out, this was the one I played for this episode. And like I said, I used to own it on, on Game Gear when I was little. It's it's a pretty simple game. It's Like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a Tetris-like game. Instead of trying to fill up rows, your blocks are... Every time a block comes down, it's a, it's a three-piece block all in a row. They're all the same shape. And they just have different kind of jewels. Uh, so it might have an orange jewel and a red one 
and a yellow one. They're also different shapes. I think the yellows are squares and the oranges and the red ones are circles and, and go on and so on and so forth. But all you're trying to do is just match up the colors. Get when you get four. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. Three colors in a row, whether it's across, whether it's horizontal, horizontal, vertical, or diagonal, then they disappear. And when the blocks come down, you can obviously press the buttons to to switch the jewels around. It does not switch the orientation of the block, so you're not rotating it sideways or anything. You're just changing the order that the jewels are in. So if uh, if the block comes down and it, say it's got a red jewel on the bottom, an orange one in the middle and a green one on top. Then you press it and it kind of rotates those. So then it's got, you know, green on the bottom, red in the middle and orange on top or something like that. That's all there is to it. And then you're just lining them up, trying to, uh, trying to get them to disappear. And all it is from there. And that is that you just keep on going basically just like Tetris until you lose. And that's it. (laughs) I remember kind of liking this when I was little, um, even though, like I said, I never really cared for Tetris, and I don't I never really loved these types of games in general, but I do remember playing this a good bit, so I was interested to see what it was that I liked so much about it, and I have no clue, because it's, <laughs> it's I wouldn't say super simple, I mean, it's about the same as, in fact, I would say it's, it's a, for me, it was, it's more challenging than Tetris, because... You have to depend on so much more than just, can I fill up this row? You have to, you know, see if you're putting things in the right place. And if you can't get stuff to line up, try your best to put them in a way that'll, you know, give you a higher chance of getting a match later on. And I don't know, to me, it was just generally harder than than Tetris is. Uh, So maybe that was it. I don't know. But that's, that's the entire game. I didn't, I didn't hate it. Didn't particularly like it either. It was just kind of, eh. Then uh, the other game I played is another game, very, very, the, the almost the exact same type of game. Uh, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. Obviously, this is a, uh, a Sonic spinoff. This is Dr. Robotnik, the, the boss from Sonic. This one came out in 1993. This is also a Sega Genesis game. And this one, I actually enjoyed uh, quite a bit more. Wow. So it's the same general idea. Uh, you are trying to match up colors. You're not, as opposed to filling up a row or something like that. And so you kind of get these little pieces that come down in the randomized colors. Uh, the gameplay mechanics are a little bit different though. So you're not just trying to line them up in rows. You're trying to get four. So, so the pieces that come down are only, they only consist of, of two like one block only consists of two sections of two pieces. It's a, uh, it's two different colored little blobs. Basically there's green, pink, blue, red, and purple or something like that. And you'll get a blob and it'll be two colors. And this time you can change the way that it's shaped. You can either have the colors, you know, sideways next to each other or sideways next to each other, facing the other direction or up and down with either one on top. And you just press a until it gets to the way you want it. Um, When you're matching them up, you're not trying to just get them in a row. All you have to do is get four of them touching each other in any, in any formation. The only thing is they cannot, they cannot like be, it can't be a vertical connection. It has to be horizontal or or vertical. I'm sorry. It can't be diagonal. It has to be horizontal or vertical. So you could get four lined up in a square with each other and that would work. Or you can get three with a fourth one like stacked on top in the middle of the, of the three or something like that. As long as there are four 
little blobs uh, of the same color touching each other. Then they'll disappear and everything else will fall down. Um, also, the blobs have little faces. So it's kind of funny to watch them fall down. They're like, they have little eyes. And they're kind of looking around. And when they land, they kind of like get smushed for a little second. It's like they're little jellyish sure. kind of blobs, you know. Uh, and also when they, when you put a blob down next to one, that's the same color, they kind of attach to each other. They kind of like blob out a little bit and, and, and attach that way. So it's just kind of, it doesn't, you know, change anything. It just is a cool little visual effect. Also the, the whole game is you're going one level after another. And in every level you're actually playing against an AI character. So it's just it's just like you're playing two player Tetris or something like that, except it's an AI on the other side who's doing the exact same thing. They're getting the exact same color blobs as you, and you're both trying. It has the same thing where, uh, you know, when you make some of your blobs disappear, then it adds ones onto their side to kind of mess them up, you know. And uh, that all these things kind of added together to give it just enough charm to where I had a whole lot more fun than I usually do uh, playing games like this, because I've talked about before. I don't really care for games like this in general. I don't really, I'm not a big fan of Tetris and just none of these really have, have got me or maybe, maybe like one or two have, but this one, I I'd say that I had really a good time playing. And also um, when you, uh, you know, you know how the Sonic games are good at creating stressful music. Yeah, you might oh, be familiar yeah. with that. Uh, when your when your stack starts getting really high, then it then it switches to a different type of music that's really stressful. Oh it, no, it's terrible. It's nothing. It's not. It's not like uh, bubble level bad, but it is. Uh, it's pretty. Um, it, it basically you start doing worse just because you're already stressed out, and then the stressed out music starts playing. So you're basically guaranteed to lose <laughs> once you get to that point. <laughs> but um, it's 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 pretty challenging too. I there were plenty of times where I lost on you know I lost to an AI to an AI three or four times before moving on to the next one. Everyone, it's like you're it's it's like a boss that you're playing against. And it kind of shows them at the beginning. It's oh you're playing That's against this cool. yeah. It's like oh you're playing against this robot, and then the robot might say something, and then you go into the game, and then the next one might be like I think they're all robots maybe. I don't remember exactly, but then it'll show you the next guy you're playing against, and then it goes into the game. And so, uh, I don't know. The all, like I said, all the little things sort of added together to make it uh, to make it fun to me. And I also, gameplay wise, I I like it a little bit more. Seeing like, oh, okay, all I have to do is get the blobs, get a certain amount next to each other. I don't have to have them perfectly lined up in a row. I don't know for some reason, just for me personally, that that also made it a little bit more fun. So, Doctor Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. I give that a solid recommendation if you're in, if you're in the mood for a game like this. Columns, it's passable. Columns, passable. Bottom All line. right. Bottom line. Um, Jay, I believe it's time for our game of the quarter. Why don't you uh, Why don't you introduce it? And then sure. We'll go from there. Uh, let me pull up the wiki page. Wait one second. All right, so you guys obviously know we played uh, Diablo 1. Blizzard game came out on December 31st, 1996. Um, this is an action role-playing hack-and-slash game. Uh, this actually was developed by Blizzard North, sorry. I need to be more specific. Uh, so Robert and I tried to play together. We had some technical issues, so we ended up playing our own game 
um, and just kind of talking our way through it. So I leveled both a barbarian and a sorceress, uh, or sorcerer, sorcerer. I leveled the barbarian. Uh, I got to the second to last floor on the barbarian, and on the sorcerer, I got to like floor ten. I want to say. Wow. This is a really fun game. I mean, this is a very, very fun game. Extremely challenging. Um, some some serious quality of life things that made it a little bit more frustrating than I uh, anticipated. So, obviously, people know the Diablo franchise, but essentially, this game doesn't hold your hand very much. This game gets right into it. So, the first floor, you go in, you start fighting mobs. You're like, oh, cool. Just hack and slash. And, and all of a sudden, you get surrounded by two or three mobs, and your health is chunking, and you can't strike back because your character is getting interrupted before they can move or counterattack. And it gets pretty rough, and you you start chain chugging potions. And you're like, okay, as long as I one v one things, generally it's not too bad. And this is the, this is from the perspective of the barbarian. So you're going through it. You just kind of pull things into doorways or choke points. You're you're fighting your way through it, and then you get to the first boss or the first mini boss, the butcher, and he is an animal. I don't know about you, but I had the <laughs> most trouble. I went through two scrolls to town portal to get my entire inventory almost filled with potions or as much money as I could afford because I could not kill him. He was hitting me so fast that my character couldn't react. Did you have the same experience? Um, Similar. So we kind of did this perfectly. You, we, we, between the three of us, we played all of the classes. So you played those oh, two perfect. and I played the rogue, which is, which is a ranger basically. Um, and yes, I did have that problem, but then I was like, and I, I couldn't, I was like, certainly there's gotta be a better way to do this. So I, so I looked at, I, I did cheat on that when I looked up a strategy guy How dare you? and there's this one spot where you can go. So rogues can shoot through. Um, if there's kind of like a window in a wall, some of the walls, oh, you can kinda I see. didn't know that. Yeah, they can do that. And so if you go to the other side of a door, he can't. I guess I found that a lot of enemies can open the doors, but I guess for some reason the the butcher cannot. Yeah, he's pretty pretty simple. I would, I'm not surprised he can't. So you can just go to the other. So you have to kind of kite him a pretty long way, and then go inside this room. Make sure you shut the door real quick before he's able to get in, and then you can shoot him from the other side. I remember doing that to the Skeleton King as a, as a kid oh, really? when I played a ranger. Yeah, there's a spot where there's like slotted windows you can shoot him through. Yep. Um, so yeah, very, you know, obviously Diablo, you're spamming left click a lot or holding it down to attack things. Actually, I think you have to left click. To, I think you yeah. have to yeah repeat repeatedly. Yeah. Um, you're picking up gear. You're identifying gear. You're finding upgrades. And I, I will tell you, so I got to a hard stopping point because I ran out of money and I couldn't get any more money and I couldn't repair my gear and I ran out of potions. That was the barbarian. Yeah, I, I got to the point where my gear was very damaged. Anytime I'd fight a large group of mobs, I would just lose durability out the ass. I wouldn't get enough money from killing them because it would take me like 15 minutes to kill the, a group of mobs. Damn, I got to a pretty rough spot. Um, but I will say along the way, very enjoyable experience. So there's the random blue mobs you fight, which have different effects to them. Um, you're picking up different types of gear throughout it. You're doing some quests. The quests really were just kind of there. I mean, the quests, take, yeah. it, take it or leave it, really. You just did them because you were playing through the, the dungeon um as opposed yeah, to the it's like oh two, i happen to it's like you basically you almost can't not do the quests <laughs> exactly that, that's a great way to put it and, and unlike diablo 2 it's, it's very linear so you you can only do the dungeon once so as you get deeper into it if you are running out of money too quickly you're kind of screwed and, and one thing uh, that threw me off at first is there's just one dungeon it's not go over here for for this part and go over here yeah. like diablo 2 uh it's this is the dungeon Go in it. You can come out occasionally to to get stuff from town, but then you go. Then you're going back into the dungeon. 
Yeah, town, town scroll portals are, are very nice. Our scroll, scroll town portal are very, very nice. Um, they do have Wirt, which Wirt appears in the north side of the town where you can buy a random item from him that is usually pretty powerful. Um, I never bought anything from him because he never had anything that I needed. Uh, but I had a decent amount of money for a while. Try to think what else. I didn't use too many spells as the Barbarian. Obviously, I had a couple key ones that I was using, but I'm trying to think what I was really doing for most of it. Um, so great music. You, you, oh, kind of touched on the, you kind of touched on this, but obviously a big part of the game is finding better gear as you are uh, progressing yeah. through. You know, of course, leveling up your character and choosing where you're going to put your hit points or, you know, your, your stat points. But the, it seems like the big part is is trying to find good loot. Yeah, and specifically, so you have helm, chest, rings, weapon, offhand, amulet. I think that's everything. Boots? Boots? Um, boots. Yeah. Yeah, boots. So it's not too many items. When you get rings, Wait, wait, no, do, no, no, no. I don't even think there are boots, are there? Are there not boots? Let me see. No boots. Okay. You called it. Yeah, you got helm, amulet, rings, uh, main hand, offhand, chest piece. Yep. Um, yeah, so it, it is It is a little frustrating. I was talking about I got kind of at a, at a hard stopping point where I couldn't progress any further. But I had a blast doing it, and so much so that I, lo- that I started a second character, which I think the wizard's way better. The, way, the wizard's much more self-sufficient. He has AoE. You have mana shield, so you just stack mana and then put up mana shield and just run through things, which was pretty... Actually, I'm so sorry. My wizard was my main, wasn't it? Yeah, I think my wizard was my main. I had it backwards. I st- I got the barbarian to level ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry. I actually played the wizard, and what ended up happening is I ran out of money to buy mana potions, so I couldn't. Okay, I was about to ask because you said he was self sufficient. I was about to say, what about? Don't you have to buy a shitload of mana though? You do. So early on, it was really, really powerful. I, I, I'm sorry, I can't believe I mixed that up. So yeah, and the worst part is when you go to town, you can get your health refilled, but not your mana, if I'm not mistaken. There's no yes, way to get I believe your mana you're right. Or I couldn't figure yeah. out a way to do that, if so. That's what it was. It's a, yeah, I got to the point where I, I couldn't kill anything. I wasn't hitting hard enough, and my mana was just going away so quickly. I had teleport. I had mana shield. I had some pretty powerful uh, direct damage spells that I was utilizing. But the mobs were just so... I was fighting with these black knight-looking things. On, it was like one of the last floors. And they had so much health, it took me forever to kill them. Like, I would have to go through potion after potion just to kill a single one. And then I just tried telekinesising my way through it. And that was even worse. Telekinesis does not work like you think it does. It just kind of portals you to a couple select locations on the floor. And in a lot of cases, you just get fucked for it. Oh, you just really? get surrounded <laughs> by mobs and just destroyed. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I forgot about that. Did you, how was your, did you find it hard getting good loot as either of those characters or did you find it better? Did you find loot better as one character or the other? Um, I don't remember having any issues specifically with loot. It took me a while to get an amulet on my sorcerer. I will say that because I I kept getting them, but they were like dexterity or something that really wasn't applicable. And on my, my sorcerer, I was not stacking a whole lot of stamina early on. I was just stacking mana because I had mana shield. Um, cause essentially I was, I just basically dug my way through until I got mana shield. So amulet wise, yes. Weapon, not really. I remember I had found a, a pretty good weapon early on and just held on to it. As the rogue, it seems like, so first off, one thing I noticed is that compared to Diablo two and Diablo through, uh, through three, it seems like there is in general, a lot less loot. Uh, yeah. it, it just drops less often. Useful, I would say, especially useful loot. Most of the shit you get is gray or whites, and they're not even worth picking up because of the inventory space. You have a very limited inventory yes. space, 
And so like whites and grays generally aren't even worth the, 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 the portal home. Oh no, definitely, you know? definitely not. Yeah. Um, what I found as the rogue is that it seemed like whenever there is a loot drop, uh, particularly for weapons, it seems like it's basically just any random item in the game. Okay. Or if it's a weapon, then it's any random weapon in the game, which seems to favor, uh, barbarians because there are more weapons that they can use. It's true. Uh, whereas the, uh, as a rogue, there are two, maybe three different types of bows, for instance. So there's just less of a chance that you're going to find a bow period because there are more I've, I've very few bows. That. Yeah. Yeah. It was not until I got very deep into the game that I got a, uh, like a pretty powerful weapon. I, like for most of it, I, I probably use the same bow from floors two to eight. And by that point it starts getting a little rough, you know, eventually I did get a pretty powerful one. And then, uh, shortly before the end of the game, I got a super powerful one. Do you know, do you remember how much damage your character was doing per? No, attack? no way. Well, I don't know if this is high, but it seemed high for me. It was, I think my damage range was 31 to 42 Okay. by the time I finished. But my bow had, uh, you know how some weapons will have, you know, it'll say 2 to 8 plus yeah. 50% or something like that, which is kind of yeah. weird, but it basically just adds 50% onto whatever your flat damage is. Mine was, I forgot what the range was. It was a pretty, it was a pretty good range and it was plus 128%. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so, and also as a, um, as a rogue, my, uh, accuracy, my hit percentage was super high. It was over a hundred percent. So once I got that bow, I was just destroying people. I beat Diablo. Um, the first time I came across him in about 15 seconds. What? Yes. Because, I just started shooting him, and since my accuracy was so high, I hit him every time. If not, I hit him. If not every time, then almost every time. And he couldn't get close to me because he would have the, you know, like it would do his yeah, animation. The yeah, the little yeah. stun animation. So I just sat there and just railed on him until he died. That's crazy. I would have died to him with my my wizard. Yeah, and I kind of was sort of wondering, you know, at first I was like, "This is so hard." When I was playing the uh, the the rogue, because you have to kite so much. Yep. And that is, and that stays true for the entire playthrough. You are constantly kiting, and there was there was even one floor. It was I think it was floor ten. Floor ten was where the game started for me. Like it seemed like it really jumped up in difficulty there. Yeah, but there was uh, one floor. It was ten or eleven. I believe it was the first one where there's lava. There's there's lava trails that you can't walk across. You know. Yeah, and like the clay golems and stuff. Yes, and there are the the little the little shitty creatures that spit slime at you. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And there are, there's a part where there are a couple dozen of them all, all launching projectiles at you at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I had to just skip them and go down to the next floor because there was no way I could be in because my health wasn't good enough and you can't, you know, you can kite pretty well, but not when there's 20 uh, ranged characters shooting at you, you know? So, that was one part where I started to feel like, oh shit, I may be in trouble. Well, let's just go on to the next floor and maybe not clear this one and see how it goes. And it ended up working out, but but I was scared because I was like, well, I'm missing all, all this leveling. And what if I come across, you know, guys like this again? What am I going to do? 
But uh, that was the only time that I had to basically skip. You know, it, it, it wasn't the whole floor. I had probably cleared 60% of it or something like that. But kiting is, you, you never stop kiting as a rogue. And I, so I thought that was hard. But then I was kind of thinking, well, wait, what do the other classes have to do? Because they can't kite. Obviously, they, they have better armor and health and stuff, but that only gets you so far. Um, so I wonder if the rogue is maybe the easier way to go. I don't know. I had to kite a lot myself on the mage. I When there were large clumps of enemies, I was very excited because I had AoE. So I would just mow down a bunch of mobs. I usually had difficulty with the mini bosses and then like um, tougher mobs, like smaller, less amounts, but tougher mobs were really challenging for me. Oh, really? Okay. That's funny because oh, yeah. it, was, it was the exact opposite for me. If it's one tough one, then I can just kite them all day. But if it's a bunch of them, and especially the ranged ones, that was when it got really tough. Mm. Um, yeah, I was going to say as well, music was pretty good. It's obviously very repetitive, very very limited tracks. Oh, but really but good. Did, yeah, I was going to say the town one's very good. Some of the, the just the ambience so the, um, the, that you get within the dungeon, really good. And it was a little bit eerie at times. Like, it's a little bit scary going through those dungeons. Obviously, visually, it's it's very aged. But the, the tone that they set for this game, especially for the time, is really impressive yeah it, it's it's well executed i remember being terrified of this game the butcher i would skip him every time as a child every time <laughs> opened, just the oh you know the fresh meat it's like yeah. oh jesus like this guy's gonna run me down the streets like, and he's I in that room with people it. with the people yeah. you know cut open on tables and stuff or whatever or like hanging very graphic yeah. very graphic yeah uh try to think what else there's a i we talked about the inventory being an issue especially at the end of the game not only was inventory an issue, but since money takes up inventory, oh yeah, my inventory was constantly seventy percent full with just money. That's crazy. You had that much money. I I finished the game with over a hundred thousand gold. Okay. There, I was getting, I was having to just leave money behind, or I would go back to town, and you can drop stuff, and it stays there. And I would yeah. just drop a stack of five thousand gold just to clear up room or, you know, I'll drop several stacks of 5,000 gold just to clear up room uh, in, in my inventory. That is crazy. I did abuse some of the shopkeeps. Like I would zone in and out of town to see different wares. Cause I was looking for specific books, um, which is where I think I waste a lot of my money. You essentially have a finite amount of money throughout the game. And if you use it incorrectly, you kind of fuck yourself into a corner, which I think is what I did. I blew too much money on getting items and, and uh, tomes for different spells. Mm-hmm. And I think I kind of screwed myself doing it, but it, it was a very fun game. I spent probably at least 15 hours playing this game. I don't know. How, yeah, I, I have. I kind of lost sense. Actually, of I can how look on God. Mine says something crazy high because I would leave it paused for a long time. 11 hours and 30 minutes. Okay. So that was probably yeah. similar to me then. Um, or maybe mine was a little less since I only did one character. But you said it was was it amulets that you had a hard time finding. Uh, I had a lot, I found a lot of amulets. I just couldn't find. Well, no, I did, I found a few amulets, but they were all dog do. I couldn't find one specifically for wizards for a long time, and then I finally got one. And I was like, yes. I only found until about level fifteen. I think I had only found one ring. One ring? Yeah. Jeez. No, I had a lot of rings. Really? And then yeah. in the on the last level or two, I ended up finding three or four more. Oh wow. Um. But yeah, the rings was was my elusive loot item on my gotcha. playthrough. Uh, th- did you do the quest where you have to get the mushrooms and then you get a potion? 
I don't think so. I think I got the quest, but I don't think I completed it. Okay, there's it. There's one where you kind of have to go back and well, you don't have to go back and forth, but you have to kind of uh, it's it's like oh, deliver this to to this person, and then when you find this thing later, deliver that to somebody else, and eventually they create a potion out of all the stuff that you get. Well, uh, I actually did that, and it's kind of it's funny when um when you what is it? It's like when you finish it, then the person oh okay. There, the it's the the witch, you know who's in town. Yeah, and she says, "Give me this, give me that," and you finally get all this stuff and give it to her. And when you finally get her the last thing, she goes, "Oh, you know what? Actually, I was able to make the potion uh, without this, but you, you just go ahead and take it anyways." <laughs> so, oh my god! <laughs> so, but so you get the potion, and I didn't know what it was at first, and so I didn't want to take it right away because I was like, "Oh, this must be pretty powerful. I'm going to save it because it doesn't tell you when you hover over it. It doesn't tell you what it does like like most of them do." Sure. And so I hung on to it. Uh, I forgot what the potion is called, but I hung on to it. And then uh, several levels later in the dungeon, I realized that I still had it on me. I was like, oh, I wonder what that does. So I looked it up before I just blindly drank it, you know? Yeah. And uh, the potion gives you plus two uh, to all your stats permanently. That's and not that much. It's not that much. But I was like, all right, that's that's pretty sweet. I'll take it. And it wouldn't let me take it. When every time you right click on it, which is what you do to take a potion, the character says, I can't cast that spell right now. And I was like, what? So I looked that up and apparently it's a glitch where if you don't take the potion immediately, then you can never take it because the game no thinks it's shit. a scroll that you can't cast. Yeah. Wow. So that was a... Uh, Fuck me, right? Yeah, exactly. Fuck me. But like you said, it was only it's only two points, so it wasn't a Yeah, two points. Is not, I mean, you get five points every level. And yeah. generally, there's a couple stats. Like, if you're playing a wizard, you're not using dexterity generally or strength generally. Yeah. So it's like, whoop-de-fucking-do. All your right. points are going into mana or health. Yep. So, uh, solid game. Jay, what's what's your final assessment? Great game. Well done. It was, it was super fun. I would highly recommend it. If anybody who hasn't played Diablo... Definitely still holds up well, meets all the meets your expectations pretty pretty highly. What about you? Um, so you know, I've said this before. I'm not a really a huge Diablo fan in general. Sure. Uh, for some reason, especially particular, well, you know, I played a good bit of Diablo three, but that was mostly because you and a lot of my other friends. Were Everybody playing was it. playing. Yeah, yeah so it was fun just because I had people to hang out and play sure. with. Sure. Diablo two, I never. So Diablo two, growing up was really my first exposure. I never, I didn't play it until late, but it was the first that I ever heard about Diablo two. I, I had sure. never heard of Diablo one. And when I heard about it, my thought was, why, why is that fun? That, that game doesn't sound fun. And I eventually tried playing a demo of it and I just didn't really like it. And then when you and Blake and I played it a couple years ago, I kind of felt the same way. I just didn't really enjoy it. I had a, an awesome time playing Diablo one. I feel exactly. Wow. My thoughts are exactly like yours. I would even say Diablo one is my favorite of all the Diablos. Really? I, I, so yeah. for I, me, I don't, I don't like, know why I, the single player for two is still really fun to me and the quality of life adjustments that they made and some of the rounding on the game. I don't know. The second one for me is the best. It, it, it's two, one, three for me. I would say two, one, three. Um, yeah, conceptually, I, I look at them and I can't argue that, I mean, 
Diablo 2 basically just does everything that Diablo 1 does, but better. Yeah. But I don't know why. For some reason, I just don't have a mm. good time playing Diablo 2. And I really did have a fun time playing Diablo 1. Even though, you know, it's it's pretty... It's a very simplistic game. It's you just clicking on bad guys until they die and hoping that you get a uh, you arbitrarily get a piece of loot that's powerful sure. enough for you to keep on doing that. Um, I think it's just just enough mindlessness to give me something to play where I didn't feel like giving something much thought, you know, and yeah. also just enough, just enough kind of carrot in front of me. Like, Oh, I just need a little bit better bow or, you know, like I need another p- better piece of armor. Then I can keep on going and kill some more bad guys. It was, I just kind of just got sucked into this, you know, this, 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 uh, dopamine loop of, Oh, just, mm-hmm. I just need something a little bit better to keep on doing this generally mindless task. Sounds about right. But, but yeah, for, for whatever reason, I, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad I did so, too. Uh, it was a really enjoyable experience. I mean, 11 hours is, is quite a bit for me to invest into a game, especially an old one, especially a very linear one with yep. a finite number of uh, finite content to it. So absolutely. So so good call on Diablo One, Jay. I think you. I think this was a I'm solid choice. Uh, too bad we didn't get to play Hellfire, but like you said, maybe we'll. Uh, maybe yeah, we'll I'd be down here someday. Just hang out. Yeah. Maybe watch some whatever the next big gaming thing is together. Right. All right. You want to jump into uh, top fives then, or top tens rather? Oh, I was gonna say if it's top five, you can go fuck yourself right now. <laughs> I cannot uh, top this down to five. All right, top ten. This is our uh, top 10 of 25 years ago, our annual top 10 of 25 years ago. Top 10 games of 1994. Yep. Uh, I guess there's no introduction needed, really. So why don't we just jump right into that motherfucker? Yeah. And, ooh, after this, we do need to talk about the next game of the quarter. I almost forgot. Okay. Uh, so top 10. Uh, no, nah, we're, we're on a roll. We're on a roll. Let's keep it, let's keep, keep it going. Uh, you want to go first or you want me to? I can go first. All right. Number um, 10. So, let's preface this. There's a lot of good games that came out this year. I'm sorry if I miss certain games that everybody's fond of. I tried to go into this list. I tried not to put in things that I know that should be on this list that I personally haven't or aren't obsessed with. Okay. I know there's a lot good of call. games that yeah, came yeah. out this year. But um, I tried to do a list that was really focused on games that I know, that I really appreciate, that are that are my top ten for this year. So my number ten, Doom Two, Doom Doom One, excellent game, very simplistic. You know what you know what you're getting into. Doom Two, kind of like Diablo One to Diablo Two, just kind of expands on the, the initial concept. And it's like, yep, they copy pasted, they added some features to it. All around fun game. You know what you're getting into, and it executes well on it. Awesome. All right, my number ten is Sonic and Knuckles. Um. All I remember about this game is that was a it was a very good entry in the Sonic the Hedgehog series. I haven't played it since probably exactly just about when it came out, but uh, I remember having a lot of fun with it. And so there we go, number ten. Cool, number nine. Number nine. Son- number nine. Son- Sonic the Hedgehog three. Uh, <laughs> similar to you, I haven't played this game in a little bit, but Sonic the Hedgehog three was. I played this game a lot. I, I played all the Sonic titles, but this one in particular, I spent a lot of time on. I struggled with it. I thought the difficulty was pretty good. Um, still continued that that um, great concept of high-paced, and then all of a sudden you're slowed down, you do some platforming, high-paced, just keeps the momentum going, great music, great visuals. 
another great entry to the Sonic series. All right. My number nine may catch some shit for it being this low, but what can I say? I'm not a huge RPG fan. Final Fantasy VI. Okay. Uh, super solid RPG. I really enjoyed it. But for me personally, there's just a whole lot other types of games that I generally like more. So uh, it gets number nine. Cool. Uh, number eight for me is Super Punch-Out. Uh, similar to what we kind of talked about before, Punch-Out, obviously a very fun NES game, especially at the time people didn't have it dissected as much as they do today. So people didn't know the, you know, we, we just kind of went into it with reactionary mechanics. Super Punch-Out comes out for the Super Nintendo. It just, again, expands on that, adds more color to it. Just a really, really fun game. I spent a lot of time on this. I didn't spend as much time on Super Punch-Out as I did for the original one, but um, yeah, still a really fun title. It's a good one. All right, number eight is Donkey Kong for Game Boy. I'm very surprised. Oh, Donkey Kong for Game Boy. Okay, never mind. Um, in fact, it's uh, it's Game Boy Color, I believe. No, no, no. It is regular Game Boy. Um, anyway, this is a uh, this is actually a puzzle platformer. It's not just a port. It's not just a port of Donkey Kong. Uh, I discussed this game on one episode. I don't remember which episode. You have to check, but it was maybe around roughly around episode 100 possibly. Uh, and I really, really had a good time with this game. It's, it's a really cool game. You are Mario going through these little puzzle levels where they're laid out in a certain way. And, uh, there's a key somewhere and a door somewhere. And you have to figure out how to get the key and how to get it to the door to progress to the next level. And it is a, uh, it's a really, it's a, it's a super solid game. I really enjoyed it. It was, it was a hundred times better than I expected. I like it. Um, my number seven is Wario Land, aka Super Mario Land Three. This is actually it's this is for Game Boy. This is actually one of my favorite titles for the original Game Boy. I put tons of hours into this game. Um, I, I actually played this for the podcast a few times. Very very yeah. simple sort of platformer game, but it has replayability to it because you can, you can actually come back and find some secret levels that expand on the game. But the actual simplistic mechanics of Wario are what I love about this game. Wario, similar to Mario, instead of using the, like the, the fireball, the wings, um, and then the mushroom, he has hats. So he has a hat that has a spiked one. He has a basic one that just makes him a little bigger. Uh, also has like a dragon one that makes him fly. And then he has this, this, I don't even know what it is, but I guess kind of like a, Bunny, I think is what it is. Allows you to fly. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, for, for a short amount of time. This game's great. The mechanics are fun. There's a little bit. Of the, my favorite thing about this is certain secrets require you to have certain hats at certain times, and usually they give it to you earlier in the level, and you just have to retain it. And there's a lot of that in the game. So you you explore the levels. There's just there's just a lot of depth to such a simplistic game. And I, I put my brother and I both actually. My brother played this game. We hundred percented both uh, both on both of our files, which is fifty hours plus probably. That might be exaggeration, but it's it's a pretty long game, and then to go back and get all the secrets and etc. etc. was was a pretty big undertaking. Cool. All right, um, lost my list. What are we on seven? Uh, yep. Yeah, John Madden football. <laughs> what is there to say about it? Amazing football game. As I said, maybe it was even the last episode. The first, the first really really good football game. In my opinion, yeah, I think that, I think you that said that was yeah. Uh, just they did they they took the football game genre and kind of this is this I feel like this game defined what what football games should be basically forever. Wow, 
I mean, obviously there's lots of stuff that it needed to be, to have improved. Yeah, I get you. But this was a huge, enormous step that kind of like stamped down. This is generally what football games should be like. I I think you and I are going to use this idea that you're describing right now a few times for the rest of our list. It's basically, you can see what they were trying to do and where it went. And you can appreciate it for what it was and what it turned into. Yep. So I think think, think we're both going to use this a lot. So. All right, number Final six. six. Final Fantasy VI. Uh, similar to you, I think I think it does deserve a little bit higher on, on this list. Final Fantasy VI, an excellent RPG, regarded as one of the best Final Fantasies even still today. Very, very enjoyable game. Anybody who hasn't done it, highly recommend it. Still holds up well. Story is a little bit hard at times because there's a lot of dialogue, but it keeps you it keeps your attention. All right. Um, number six for me is Super Metroid. There it is. Wow. Wow. <laughs> um, similar to Final Fantasy VI, lately I have just not been uh, a huge fan of Metroidvania type games. I I get turned off by all of the backtracking. That's that's you know that's mm. just that's just part of the genre. I get that, and I don't have you know I don't have I don't I don't think there's a problem with that. It's just I don't personally love that. Sure, you don't appreciate it. You respect it for what it is, but you don't appreciate it. Right. Um, Super Metroid is, I have to agree, probably the best of these. Um, yeah. Absolutely amazing game. I, 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 It's funny that I have to defend it for only being at place six. <laughs> you know, yeah. but uh, a lot of people would probably have it as one or two. But, again, absolutely fantastic game. The the Also, just the visuals are, are amazing in this game and the music. Oh, like, yeah. Everything about it is great. There are just other types of games that I enjoy playing more. So that's why it quote only gets to be number six for me. I got you. My number five is Warcraft orcs and humans. This had to be on my list. This was wow. one of the RTSs. Uh, it's a fantastic game. It, it, this game. Okay. So this is what I was talking about with this concept. You were just talking about if I play it today, it's rough. There's some, there's, there's simplicities to it, but you can see the features that ultimately evolved into what Warcraft became. And on top of that, this was very early on in the RTS genre. So I appreciate it for what it is. I wouldn't recommend necessarily playing this game today. I would recommend playing two or three, yeah. but I still respect it for what it is. It deserves its spot. If we were doing some sort of hall of fame for 1994, this would absolutely be on the list. This game at the time was revolutionary. It, it, it brought in so much that hadn't been done at the time. It has to be on here. All right. Number five, five for you. Five doom two. Wow. That high. Yeah, that high just because, and and I'm maybe contradicting myself a little here because first person shooters in general, I don't love too much anymore either. But having, Doom is very unique. <laughs> yeah, it's unique. Having replayed Doom one not too long ago and 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 working on the new uh, John Romero's new mega wide for Doom one sigil uh, that I hopefully will be able to talk about on the podcast soon. Um, having played that recently and hoping to play Doom two sometime in the near future as well. I just, my love for doom has been rekindled lately. So I just remember it's been a while since I've played doom two, but I know how much I like doom one. And I remember this being, you know, a significant step past doom one. So, uh, yeah, it is a, uh, really, 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 really awesome game in general, probably not technically as good as super Metroid, you know, but for, but for 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 me personally, I I like it more. 
Sure. No, and I think that's completely fine. And I, I think we could obviously do the cookie cutter top five, and you know, we'd probably have the same three or four. <laughs> probably, but yeah. I'm, I'm serious. I'm glad we're adding a little bit of personality to it. I think you just you gave Doom Two exactly what it deserves. It's a hack and slash FPS. I mean, you're running it down. It's a very simple concept executed extremely well, and yep. it's extremely enjoyable from start to finish. You know what to expect going into it, and as long as you have that mindset, you will have a good time. It's, yep. it's that simple. Well put. Number four for me, and this is pretty high, I'm surprised, Donkey Kong Country. The reason this is on my list is I have played this on many ports at every time I've enjoyed it. Donkey, Donkey Kong Country, similar to uh, Sonic the Hedgehog for me, has moments where you get your character is grabbed and thrown through a bunch of different obstacles, and it's a very kind of high-paced visual moment. And then you go back to the complicated, uh, slower-paced platforming. I love the expansion of the different animals you do, the bonus levels, replayability of certain levels, finding secrets. Just a really, really fun game. It, it doesn't matter how many times I think, like, ah, Donkey Kong Country wasn't that good. And then I go play it again. I'm like, <laughs> yes, it is. It is that good. It's super fun. The soundtrack's there. The graphics were very good for the time. And, yeah, just, just a great game. Awesome. All right, number four for me, Ken Griffey presents Major League Baseball. Hmm. I think it's the best baseball game ever made. Wow. And uh, even though I'm not a big baseball baseball fan, I do have a lot of fun playing video game baseball games. They've just always been really fun to me because it's, it's the perfect for me. It's the perfect combination of kind of, I guess competition and action as well as strategy. Baseball games have, have all of those things. And so uh, this is again, in my opinion, the best. And I think there are a lot of people that agree with me and uh, it's just overall just a fantastic baseball game and it's got just a tiny little bit of cartooniness to kind of give it a little kind of weird edge to it but it's uh but it's but it's generally just a super solid baseball game that is just really fun to play it's it's again it's kind of like what you said nothing novel about the concept but it's just executed perfectly basically yeah, and those are the those are the gems of classic games. Those are the ones we always talk about, right? It's those ones that have some sort of replayability. But if if you play it today, you still recognize and understand it, maybe even appreciate and enjoy what yeah. they still are even today. So I get you. Yep. Number three for me, no surprise, Super Metroid. I to 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 your point, I probably wouldn't be able to play this game again. I 100 percent of this game. I got every single item probably whoo, ten years ago, six eight years ago. Mm-hmm. I had a blast with it. I love the backtracking. I drew a hand drew a map for myself. I went through and crossed out all these different aspects. I went through all the areas and blew up all the walls and used my missiles to try and find every secret. I loved it. It took me an exorbitant amount of hours and I loved every second of it. The music's great. The sound effects are great. The visuals are there. It's just a, a incredible game. If you haven't played Super Metroid, highly recommend it. But Robert is correct. There's a lot of backtracking. There's a lot of, ooh, am I supposed to be going this way or this way? And then you spend a lot of time going back and forth and ultimately losing health, which then you have to grind yourself back to get full health and blah, 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 blah. Very fun game. That's all right. I'm used to grinding myself. hey all right, number three. This is where it starts to get extra good, for me at least. Earthbound. Okay. Wow. Oh, this game transcends RPGs for me. You know how I talked about Final Fantasy VI is a fantastic game, but I don't love RPGs, so for me it's a yep. little bit lower, just because I don't personally like playing it as much. Well, Earthbound obviously is an RPG, but everything that I, like, everything that I find not particularly enjoyable about RPGs 
basically gets tossed out the window for Earthbound because even 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 though it does have some of those elements like grinding and stuff like that, overall the game is just so phenomenal that I don't even care. It's got I, I think it's the combination of seriousness and quirkiness um, that is just perfect for me. It's uh, it's just it's so hard to explain. It is just an absolutely fantastic game, and I love it. And I, it's, it's, it's. I almost don't even think about, you know, what genre the game is when I'm playing yeah. it, just because everything about the game is so good. You said exactly right from the start. It transcends the RPG genre. It really does. Yeah, I think it does. Good choice. All right, number two. Number two. NHL '95. We have talked about this game time and time again. This game holds up so well. Still very fun. Just a ridiculous, simple sports game. I am not a sports game person at all. And, and except for like the Tony Hawks, which kind of different, different genre in my own opinion. But uh, NHL 95, amazing game. I cannot tell you how many times I have gone back and played. I still have the ROM on my computer. And every once in a while, I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're doing that. And then I just play, <laughs> I'll play a couple games, have a lot of fun with it. It's just a great game. It still holds up well. Obviously, the graphics are kind of rough and the sound effects are whatever. They're kind of all over the place. But the gameplay is there. Still very enjoyable. Highly recommend it. Awesome. All right. But number two, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo. Big surprise. Yeah. I'm a huge Street Fighter fan. This is not the original Street Fighter, but I mean, it's not the original Street Fighter 2, but it's the Turbo version, which is fucking amazing as well. So... There you go. Again, we talked about setting templates for your genre. Street Fighter 2, again, not Turbo, but Street Fighter 2 in general did that for sure, 100%. And uh, Turbo was just a uh, an improvement on that, and it's a outstanding game. I like it. All right, Jay, number one, the best game of 1994. Yeah. No surprise. You did you did some you did some good favors for this. This is Earthbound. Okay. Um Earthbound, I played it again last year. I went into it with eh, it's it's probably still gonna be good. It's fantastic. This game, from the music to the execution to the story to the comedy, the, the quirkiness you talked about, executed so unbelievably well. And even the the frustrating parts about RPGs where you this is the game where you can see your enemies before you fight them. At a certain point, when you're super far ahead of all the mobs you're around you, when they run at you, they just instantly die and you don't have to actually go through combat. An, an amazing yeah. simple mechanic that makes the game transition and smooth so much smoother. Because you don't have to sit there and get into a fight with a level one rat and hit A three times so that your guy can swing at it and one-shot <laughs> it. And then you have to watch the, the celebration music of a completion. Nope. The mob <laughs> yeah. runs up to you, instantly dies. It just goes like, and it just dies. You're like, great. That uh -huh. was pretty cool. Doesn't even cut to a battle screen. Yeah, exactly. And, and and what's fun, what I love about this game is the fights you get into are hilarious. Some of the guys you fight from the, the abilities that they use, how they interact with your characters, the dialogue, the way that the story is executed. It has a very strong tone to it, but it has this underlying sort of childish comical at times and, and it almost makes you forget like, oh yeah, the character I'm playing as is a child. I completely forgot. And then when you get to the end of the game, which I won't spoil for anybody, it's extremely serious and very heart-wrenching. And it's like, Jesus, like, again, I'm playing as a child in an RPG. Like, oh my gosh, like, this is so serious. Yeah. Earthbound is is an exception to every rule there ever is. Every trope there is to RPGs, Earthbound is beyond it. it it's an incredible game. And if you have not played this game and you consider yourself an RPG fan, shame on you. 
This is an excellent game. Play it. It is well worth the time. It is a very long game, depending on how you do it, but it is well worth the time, and I highly recommend it. Very well put. You, you did it a good service. Thanks. All right, my number one game of the year. Is it what I think it is? Um, no, it's not then. Nope, never mind. I don't know. It is a Star Wars TIE Fighter. Okay, I was surprised that wasn't on your list yet, so I kind of forgot about that, but I'm surprised NHL 94 is not on your or 95, excuse me. Uh, NHL 94 is the one that I love so much. I don't know that I ever played Oh, is the, did I mix that up? You may have, because 94 is the one that we've talked about before. Oh, my apologies. I thought, I was thinking that they came out with the 95 one in 94, if you know what I mean. Like they, they, No, they yeah, they, they did, but 94, which came out in 93, is the one that we love so much. Yeah, my apologies. Okay, that would not have been on my list then. So you that's the I, one you were thinking of when you were talking about 95? Yes, okay. I was. Okay. You want to take a look and see what, you're, uh, what you would have filled uh, yeah. in for number Go two? Go ahead. Okay. I'll jump in. Well, Star Wars TIE Fighter, you've probably heard me talk about it before. One of the best games I've ever played, ever. Definitely top 10 of all time for me. Uh, and I, I think Earthbound is too. In fact, in our, on our top 100 games of all time list, I think both of these were in my top 10. I'm, I feel very certain TIE Fighter was. If Earthbound I would be was, very surprised, yeah. Yeah, if Earthbound was not, then it was extremely damn close. But, uh, man, Star Wars TIE Fighter just nails the feel. It, it makes you feel like, and I think this is what I said when I d- described it, when I played it for the podcast, but um, it makes you feel like you're actually piloting a type. <laughs> That's such a cliche, cliche thing, thing yeah. to say, but you don't say it. So <laughs> Okay. <know>. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully that gives, that lends a little bit of credence to that statement. Cause yeah, Absolutely. that's not, that's not a phrase that I use to describe stuff very much, but I just remember, especially when this game came out, it blew everything away. I mean, there was the wing commander series, which, which also does a very good job of, you know, just providing a, a really in-depth space combat simulator. But Star Wars TIE Fighter just blew everything else out of the water. Even Star Wars X-Wing, which came out just a year or two before it, was was only a fraction as good as this. Just because it's so much depth in the systems that you have to be you know be aware of as you're piloting your X uh, your your X-Wing your, your TIE Fighter. Um, you know you have to be managing your shields, your engine power, your 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 laser your your blasters. And diverting power from one to the other as necessary. Makes me think uh, of FTL. Yeah, it's kind of like FTL. If FTL was a first-person space combat simulator, <laughs> you know, if you were one guy, f- f- you know, flying a ship and shooting sure. people, uh, I, I, I can kind of see that. But yeah, it does. It does have some similarities in that way where you're having to manage certain things. Um, but uh, and obviously the action part of it is super fun. You know, trying to. Just kill all the other ships or, you know, do whatever your mission is, which is another good thing about it. It's not just kill all the ships. It's like, here's your mission. You're going to escort this or, you know, go patrol this minefield and make sure there's, you know, nothing weird going on. Or, hey, we got we got intel that this uh, rebel ship is going to be here by go and try to capture some of the freighters and stuff like that. So it's not, you know, there are plenty of space dogfights where it's just you needing to kill a bunch of uh, a bunch of rebel pilots, but that's not all there is to it. And they just do such a good job of, of providing so many systems that you, again, you really feel like you're in control of the ship and you have to manage all these certain aspects of it. It's not just fly at the bad guys and shoot them. It's, it's so much more in depth than that. 
And uh, it's also very, very challenging at points too. And, uh, and, and it even has a really good story, believe it or not. The story is super solid in this game. It even takes some, some really cool twists and stuff. So, man, I think I may even go back and play this again. I was thinking about playing this again soon for the podcast, just because it's such a fantastic game. Again, definitely one of my top 10 of all time. It is unbelievable. I like it. All right. Good chance to. uh... I did. You're going to like this one. Uh, This was for. Ooh, was this for Super Nintendo or Sega? Hold on one moment here. Uh Uh-oh. I played a bunch. I actually played it for the podcast, not too... Super Nintendo? No, I played the Genesis one. I played the Genesis one. Uh, this is MTV's Beavis and Butthead. Did you ever play this game? <laughs> no. So it, sound, it sounds atrocious, right? But yeah, it was yeah. a very simple game that was very... Fr- in all seriousness, this game was pretty rough. But it was enjoyable and almost addicting for the fact that it was so frustrating at times. Very simple game. So obviously everybody knows who Beavis and Butthead are. Um, you essentially were trying to get tickets to Guar, which is like you know a band or a concert, right? And so you had this. They, they had the code system. So you you essentially would play through the game, do one thing, and then you get to a point where you get some sort of code that allows you to progress further. And then maybe in your next playthrough, you would do different things. Uh, but you had all these different interactions with all the different characters that were with, with that were within the Beavis and Butthead universe. In a lot of cases, they would try to kill you or harm you in some way, and you had to have some sort of item or mechanic in order to defeat them so you could get further in the game. And essentially, it was like, the game was, hey, you need to get these tickets. Okay, how do I get these tickets? Uh, well, this guy needs them, but he wants an inflatable pool raft. Okay, how do I get an inflatable pool raft? We need 15 uh, okay, bucks. Okay, gotcha. How do I get 15 bucks? Okay, you need to do this. Mm-hmm. And it was like this <laughs> chain of events where you would eventually get all the way through it and then get to the end of it. Very brutal game, rough on the mechanics, but it was some for some freaking reason, this game is extremely addicting. I put a lot of time into this game, never beat it, got kind of close at times, uh, but... It was super fun, and I don't know why. It was just kind of one of those games that sticks out. I rented it quite a few times. I played it at different people's houses to try and get through it. But, uh, yeah, it was a fun game. I would like to, one sort of honorable mention, um, I have never played this, but so my honorable mention is that I think if I had played this game, it, it, may, uh, it probably very, very likely would have made my uh, top 10, which is Wing Commander 3, mm. which, uh, again... You just heard me gushing about TIE Fighter. Uh, Wing Commander series is another space combat simulator series. Um, but this one, and I've played one and two. I loved. Uh, I really loved both of them. Um, Wing Commander 3 is the one that has uh, that has Mark Hamill as, as an actor in, okay. in some of the cutscenes. So I uh, haven't had a chance to play it yet. I, I do hope to get to it sometime, maybe in the next year or so. But uh, I... I Wish that I would have played that so I could say whether that is in my top 10. Because I, I bet it would have been. All right, Jay. Um, for our next top five. Okay. Um, an idea I had is as I was playing Dr. O- Ro- Let me try this again. Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine and Columns. I was thinking, why don't we do a game, uh, top five based on Tetris style games? You want to do that? I'd be interested in that. Sure. It's something new. So, yeah, it's kind of a genre that we never really got to doing a top five of. We've done top fives of this and that, but never for this style of game. So you, I, I think if you're good, if you're cool with it, then we can do that and kind of just say you can kind of interpret Tetris-like to mean whatever you want. You know, we won't be too strict on that. But generally, just a game where there are little objects that you are supposed to line up in some sort of fashion to make them disappear or do something that gives you points. 
And I think that's okay. about as specific as we need to get. Does that sound? How does that sound? Sounds good. Okay. So our next top five is top five Tetris-like games. Is there a name for that type of game? Tetris Mania? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> top five Tetris Manias. I said Tetrisvania, but yeah. Uh, Tetrisvania. <laughs> Tetris, uh, uh, Wikipedia says Tetris is a tile-matching puzzle video game. So maybe... Yeah, I feel the person who wrote that was definitely correcting their glasses when they typed that. <laughs> Actually, it's a tile-matching... I'm sorry. Uh, okay, so anyway, Tet- we'll just call them Tetris-like games. Cool. All right, we'll do that. So, top five Tetris-like games for uh, for the next episode. And, oh, and before we get to emails, we need to step back for a second. Hit that, smash that rewind button, and talk about oh, our next stop. game of the... <laughs> <You're> <laughs> <master>. <laughs> next game of the quarter. Um, it's my turn this time. And you know what? I think, instead of you doing your usual, like, pick this or roll a dice and hit the randomizer. I think I'm just going to pick a game out right this time. This is a game that I'm not too familiar with. Well, I'm not very familiar with at all, but I know just enough about it that I think it will be fun for us to, uh, to play and talk about. Okay. Mr. Mosquito. Interesting. All right. I think this is PS2. I don't even remember if it's PS2 or PS1, but I think it's, uh, PS2. Let's look it up real quick. Mr. Mosquito. PS2. All right. That's it. Wikipedia says the gameplay revolves around one thing, sucking blood from the Yamada family while they go about their everyday business. However, the player can only suck from a designated body area, which will only be available at specific times. You had me at sucking, but go ahead. <laughs> That's that's it. That's all I that's all I got. Perfect. And that's basically all that I know about it. Um so uh let's do it. Mr. Mosquito. This will be we'll we'll be discussing this, so let's see. July, August, September the end of September. Okay. Work for you? Sounds good to me. All right, Mr. Wait, Mosquito. What day in September? I don't know what day, just the end of sometime near the end of September. Okay, we'll see. We'll see where I'm at in WoW, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Play it ahead of time if you need to. That's All actually right. a good idea. Yeah. Emails. open that google doc son um <laughs> here we go from father me holy shit all right i think you and i are gonna have to split this one okay nah i'll be fine the e- oops hold on the email is pasted into google docs perfect how long how, it doesn't say how many pages oh 12 pages long we'll be good that's at size 14 though um I'm just gonna read until I can't read anymore, and then I'm gonna and then I'll have you okay. take over. I was gonna take it, but that's fine. Do you want to do it? Sure. Okay, you, you got this. All right, Father Beast says hello again to the Classic Gaming Podcast. This is, of course, Father Beast. 
Uh, the first issue on the docket is our game of the quarter, Diablo, and how good it was. I picked up Diablo sometime in 1997 or 1998 since I had heard many good things about it. I got it for 10 bucks, used at, at a uh, used game store and brought it home. There it assumed a unique place among our games. The rule in the house then was that when you wanted to play a game that required the CD, you would take the CD that was left in the drive previously and put it away in the case and put it back on the shelf. All right, hold on. I remember... Sorry, go on, and then I have something to say. Okay. I remember raging at a visitor who took a CD out of the drive and put it in the first empty caves they came across. Arg. Well, arg. (laughs) But the problem was with Diablo that everybody wanted to play it, so it made an official exception to the rule. Diablo could be left <laughs> on the computer table in its case, even when it wasn't currently being played. This was the only game that got such treatment. All right. I just had uh, sidestepping for a second. This reminded me of something that I have to talk about, which I think is amazing. Um, so speaking of like putting CDs back in their cases and not just setting them down somewhere or putting them That's in like me. whatever. <laughs> that, that was definitely me growing up. However, now I'm always very careful to, Mostly because I know if my daughter sees me just setting stuff down, then she's going to start doing that. And then stuff's going to start getting scratched and all that. So I'm always very careful when, like, if we're playing a PlayStation game or something like that. I'll take it out, put it in the box that it belongs in, then get the next one out and do it. And just by purely just doing that as an example without even having to give her instructions on, hey, make sure you do this. That is just naturally what she does now. She just, even if, even if I'm not there, if there's a game, like if I had a game in the PlayStation and need, and she is playing hers, then, then later on, I will just find mine in its box on the shelf where it goes. And that blows my fucking mind that that actually has worked that way. That's awesome. Anyway, I just had to say, I just wanted to, I guess, semi brag on her about doing that because I remember the first time I was like, wow, she really put it up. And then every other time then it's like, she does it without even giving it a second thought. I'm like, damn, I wish, uh, I, I'm glad that I tried doing this because it actually fucking worked. All right, go on. Awesome. Uh, father, father beast goes on to say onto the game itself. I uh, get to choose to be a warrior rogue or a sorcerer. In old D&D terms, a fighter, archer, or magic user. You have a town with vendors for weapons and armor, healing potions, and magic stuff. The warrior and the sorcerer are sort of mirrors of each other in in a numbers way. The warrior gets the skill of repairing armor and weapons. Oh, yeah, I forgot about this. Oh, I Although know. badly. That's cool. Yeah, but it reduces the overall durability every time you do it. So, oh, that sucks then. Yeah. Although badly. And the sorcerer gets the skill of recharging staffs. Although badly, if you don't want to ruin your equipment, you can have your weapons and armor repaired and, and your staffs recharged properly for a fee at the blacksmith and the witch, respectively. The cost of repairing and recharging only is a problem at the beginning of the game when you're scrambling for enough gold to purchase crappy, crappy quilted armor. Also, the warrior will gain a lot of life and only a little mana, while the sorcerer will gain a lot of mana and a little life. The rogue runs in a middle ground and can be more versatile, casting spells to augment her fighting. I remember my older son, about seven years old, announcing to us that we were wasting our, t- our money getting stuff repaired at the blacksmith. To prove it, he showed us these rags he picked up and was wearing. <laughs> Seriously, whoever has a reason to wear rags. <laughs> the durability was one of a maximum of five. Then he used his repair skill on them. They had a durability of one and a maximum of one fully repaired. Admittedly, the skill gets better as your character increases in level, but you always lose at least one maximum durability or one maximum charges each time you use the skill instead of paying the vendor. Hmm. 
Anyway, I had almost always played the warrior before, though I had tried the rogue a few times. The game doesn't advance until you go into the dungeon. There's only one dungeon, that, though it is divided into four parts, each having four levels, making 16 levels in all. Once you get into the dungeon, you encounter monsters trying to kill you. Killing them gets you experience and sometimes loot. You can also find loot sitting in chests. Get enough experience and you level up, which gives you five attribute points to spend as you like. Since there are four attributes to spend them on, I decided on the following scheme, which which I have never seen reason to change. I put two points into my primary attribute, Strength for Warrior, Dexterity for Rogue, and Magic for Sorcerer, and one point into each of the others every time I leveled up. Hold on, how, how did you do your um, leveling? My Sorceress was like one stamina, four mana every time. <laughs> that was, um, mine was four Dexterity, one Vitality. Yeah. Every single and then oh, my barbarian, then, it was like five health, five health, five health, five health. I, yeah, and then every once in a while, I would realize that I needed to raise my strength to be able to use like a new weapon that I had gotten. Exactly. So then it, next time I leveled up, I would just like dump everything in the, into that. Okay, I'm just wondering. Uh, Father Beast goes on to say, the loot you can sell in town and use to buy better equipment or more and better spells or both. You also need to go back to town to resupply on healing potions or mana potions or both and get your stuff repaired and recharged. The voice of the warrior saying, I've got to pawn some of this stuff, was always my signal to head back to town. The cycle of killing monsters, get loot, level up, and go to town to resupply has been used since long before Diablo and will continue long after. It's still fun. Uh, Father Beast goes on to say, early on, I learned not to use Scroll of Healing. You might wonder if you should you should, since a healing scroll costs the same as a healing potion and works just as well. I thought that until I faced the first, uh, the butcher, and tried using scroll scrolls to heal myself during the fight. The butcher would hit me, interrupting my use of the scroll, and the scroll would be gone, and I wouldn't be healed. After that, <laughs> I never bought a scroll of healing again, although I would use one if I came across one. The Diablo strategy guide I have promotes you, the use of scrolls because you can hotkey them. And you can't do that with potions. I object to the assessment since you only have four hotkeys, which are better used on something else. And having potions in the eight slot on your belt, which is better than a hotkey. I agree with that entirely. Wait, what, wait, what hotkeys? Like, not just, he's not talking about the numbers, is he? Uh, probably so, a girl, isn't it? Isn't she? No. Oh. Um, yeah, there are certain hotkeys you can have for, for the... You know, you have the right actions. You have your left action, you have your right action. You yeah. can keep buying yeah. things to open them and then use them very quickly. I forget oh, which hotkeys. I, did, I just... Is. The only thing I used besides right and left click were just uh, the number... Like, you know, the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9... That where you can drop them into the slots. Gotcha. I didn't know there were other hotkeys. Okay. Yeah, but I do agree with this this strategy. Along the way, you run into all sorts of critters to kill and seem to give each type my own nickname, uh, often ignoring the names given to them. You might call them fallen. I refer to them as cowards because they run away whenever you kill someone. You might call them overlords. I refer to them as fat guys. You might call them acid beasts. I call them just dogs and so on. <laughs> I've never had a time when someone didn't know what I was talking about. I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Not even, yeah. Um, sometimes you'll run into a, a boss critter with a unique name. These guys are tougher and their common counterparts, excuse me, than their counter common parts. And they usually run with a gang of their type of creatures, which act smarter in combat than the actual critters. Critters. The advantage to these is the boss always drops a magic item when you kill it. Anyways, it's lots of fun, but can be frustrating when you're facing a bunch of archers who shoot at you and run away, making you chase them all over the level while other, uh, while other archers take pot shots at you. 
that's probably my biggest gripe about Diablo. Oh, except it really irritates me that when you kill Diablo at the end, the game ends. You can't go back to town and cruise through the through, through the level at your leisure, making sure you got everything. You can start a character again, and you can choose to load your save or start a new game. If you load your save, it's from the last time you saved, which is probably before you killed Diablo. If you start a new game, it has the stuff that was on your person the last time you saved. Anything you threw in the ground for safekeeping back in town is gone. Uh, designing the end of the game like that just irritates me. So we come now to, excuse me, we come to now and I played a sorcerer, which I have not done before. I had heard that this class was the win button and after playing it, I have to agree. And it's more fun than playing a warrior or a rogue, at least to me. Playing as a warrior when you turn a corner in a catacombs and find yourself facing a pack of dogs with a boss and they're all shooting at once and your hit points go down to zero very quickly, it can be very scary. The ones in the pack won't come up to you and ask you to be hit either. As Sorcerer, I was able to take a step back and spam Firebolts in their general direction, killing most of them without even seeing them. Quite the different experience. Then when I got uh, one spell that made the biggest difference, Mana Shield. With this, I was able to completely ditch healing potions and only use mana potions. I just had to be careful. Mana Shield cancels when you enter a new level, and it will also turn off if you use up all your mana. There were a number of times I ran out of mana in the middle of a fight and had to run it to a relatively safe location to recast Mana Shield. After chugging a potion, of course. Going back to Adria, which is the witch, for more spellbooks was a necessity. Of course, she wasn't always selling what I wanted, but if you save and reload the game, this is what I was talking about, while standing in front of her, she changes her inventory. I quickly learned that I had to choose my spells since I would not have enough money to buy all the spells that I could read with the amount of magic I had. I made that mistake. (laughs) Um, I needed to specialize, so I had my fire spell upgrading from firebolt to fireball and guardian. Lightning spells grew from charge bolt to lightning bolt to chain lightning, and I kept holy bolt in reserve. So my four hotkeys were holy bolt, my fire spell, my lightning spell, and mana shield. And that's how I ran through the game. When you get to the hell levels, Adria and Pepin start selling these elixirs, which can boost a basic stat permanently. I started buying all the magical elixirs that I could afford after buying spell books and raised my magic considerably. By the time I killed Diablo, I was level 25, my life had just reached 100, and my mana was over 300. Even fighting groups of witches, which had always been my real pain, was simple enough once I made sure I was using the magic they weren't immune to. I do admit that the mages on level 16 were kind of a hassle, how they would suddenly teleport and shoot at me simultaneously. Speaking of level 16, it consists of four main areas, which you have to do in order since each has a lever that unlocks the next one. You have a big open area, the spiral room, an enclosed area, and Diablo's playpen. My trick for clearing out the area is to, as soon as I open Diablo's playpen, get Diablo to follow me into the spiral room and then teleport out of there. Then I can kill everything else, pick up all their loot at my leisure, which would be very difficult to do with Diablo standing over you. Then, when I've gotten uh, when I've gotten everything, I can go and kill himself, kill himself, and then the game will end. Why do they even do that? It's really irritating. Even so, I think the game is just brilliant, and I enjoyed all my time playing and want to keep going. Big thumbs up for me. Father Beast goes on to say, So I finished the game, but I will keep playing on Nightmare and Hell difficulties. In Hellfire, uh, you can simply choose a difficulty when starting a new game, but in Diablo Basic, it's a bit more difficult. Thanks to Jaruf's Guide to Diablo and Hellfire, I know a workaround. If you start a multiplayer game, which does let you to choose the difficulty on Nightmare or Hell, and then switch to single-player mode without quitting the game entirely, your single-player game will be on the difficulty. It's kind, it's, kind, it's kind of fiddly, and you may have to do it every time you come back to your game after quitting Diablo, but it works. Hellfire. Speaking of which, let's talk about Hellfire expansion for Diablo. It was made by Sierra, not Blizzard, and you can't play multiplayer on it. 
It has two f- new four-level dungeons in it. The Hive, which is a reskin of the Cavern levels, and the Crypt, which is a reskin of the Hell levels. It has a handful of new spells and new and a few new f- classes you can choose. The Monk is a melee character, which actually does more damage with no weapons after about the 18th level. He also gets a cool increase on his armor class with each level. Uh, his skill is Search, which is a new spell in Hellfire. Search highlights the loot on the ground for, for those times you swear you heard a ring hit the ground, but you can't find it where among all the bodies. This is the only fully realized new class within Hellfire, with his own look and voice. The Barbarian looks like the warrior, but it's ultimate non-magic user. He has a magic of zero, and you can never increase it. He also gets 1% to resist all with every level increase. His, his skill is Rage, which has increased strength and accuracy for a minute, but reduces health when it wears off. The Bard class looks like the Rogue and has the skill of Identify. I really don't know much about this class. My review of Hellfire is kind of meh. The new dungeons aren't very interesting, the new monsters aren't very interesting, and the new quests aren't very interesting. And you can't ask the other people in town about them. The new spells are pretty cool, and the Monk class is pretty fun. Mostly, it's just a small enhancement to the original game. Uh, Next, this is uh, Father Beast categorized this section as Belzebub. I also did research for a high-res version of Diablo after hearing something something vague about it and came across this mod. You think it should be spelled Beelzebub, but it's not, for whatever reason. This mod does, does indeed, indeed give high resolution to Diablo, and you can even zoom out on the whole town. Wow, wow. that's kind of cool. That is cool. Uh, it also adds Diablo 2-like functionality to Diablo, from highlighting stuff on the ground with the alt key to revamped vendor interfaces and many others. It also includes the monk, bard, and barbarian classes from Hellfire, but not the spells, dungeons, or most of the others, other stuff from Hellfire. It also adds a necromancer class, ooh, and an ice type of spells. In addition, the basic skill each class starts with, it gets more skills later on after they level up. It gets really fracking difficult. I was going to play this, this also for the show, but had to give up on frust- in frustration when I was dying so much on level six. It's interesting, but I haven't had haven't the skills to follow through with it. Intermission. Father B says, I know this is a really long letter, and I will test your commitment to read it through, but I had a lot to say about Diablo, and I hope it wasn't boring. I have a quick note to say about using the term literally, and it's how <laughs> it's been corrupted so that people don't think it means what it what you think it means. I understand, which is why I have pretty much abandoned the word, and in my own speech, I find that the use of the word actually or phrase in reality, it's a little a little cumbersome, but I want people to know what I mean. I think that's and a good alternative. I think that's a good alternative. I think actually is kind of what I've started to to try to use as well. Um, yeah. Maybe not quite successfully, but uh, I yeah, I think that's my uh, my new literally is is having to be actually now. Yeah, it literally is for me too. Um, real quick, one thing I forgot to bring up about Diablo is uh, I saw I was watching a um a uh, kind of a I forgot, I forgot what they call them like a developer recap about the game. Uh, they have these uh, they call them something else uh, post mortem I think. It had this was from one of the. Uh, game developer conferences not too long ago, they had one of the designers and I think it was even maybe the head designer on the original Diablo, just going back and talking about, you know, designing the game and, and all that kind of stuff. And Diablo was originally going to be a turn-based, a turn-based game. And it was, you can tell that it's very, uh, it's certainly not a roguelike, but you can tell it's very inspired by roguelikes where it's got, 
you know, gear that you have to, to get and, and stuff that you have to identify before you can know the stats on it. And it's one big, um, dungeon that you're going deeper and deeper one floor to the next many, many, many elements. Uh, it borrows from, from, from the roguelike genre. Kind of cool. Along those same lines, it was originally going to be turn-based just like roguelikes. And, uh, he was talking about how, when, um, basically the, the people above him were kind of like, you know, you know, it needs to be more action oriented. And he was like, no, 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 it's, you know, I, I want it to be like this where it's more kind of like strategic and you have to just do one thing at a time and really think about it. And basically they were like, you know, they pressured him enough so he, to where he was like, all right, well, I'll, I'll try it and see how it works out. So he kind of fiddled with the codes to make it real time. And then he, he said like the first time where he in real time walked up to a skeleton and smashed it with a sword and killed it. He was just like, Basically, like, oh shit! <laughs> like he realized it was actually going to be a really cool game after he uh, <laughs> once, once he finally tried it out. But I thought it was interesting that it was originally going to be a turn-based game. Yeah, that's actually kind of cool. I didn't know that. Uh, you want to keep going, um, or you want, you, want me, you want me to take over? I'm good. Okay. End of intermission. Uh, back to 1994. Wow, 1994. I was married, and my second child, my daughter, was born this year. Uh, I recall sitting at the computer beside her years later as we learned to play The Secret of Monkey Island together nice. as it was free on the PC Gamer Disc. Uh, we didn't have a PC back in 1994. We were still playing with our Commodore 64 at the time. Our first PC didn't come until 1997, and it was an IBM XT with one megabyte of RAM and a CD. Oh, graphics. shit. Damn. Wow. It's a machine right anyway, there. Right? Anyway, Wikipedia has supplied me with the names of the games I actually did play later on, and many that I've heard of but not played. In fact, let's start there. 1994 games I've heard of but not played. Wolf. This was a strange one to hear about. A wildlife simulator where you played a wild animal. Frankly, it sounds boring and I've never followed up on it. Though I hear developer did with a sequel called Lion. Doom 2. Never played the first one. Never played the second one either. Makes some people's top game games list regularly though. Yeah, it does. Uh, next one is Archon Ultra. I played Archon on the Commodore, but this was supposedly the better version. All souped up for the powerful PC, never got to play. Sim Tower. Part of the seamlessly en endless run of Sim games at the time, I suspect this one is a spiritual predecessor to many of the Tower games that have, have become popular from time to time. Warcraft, Orcs, and Humans. I've always wanted to give this a go. Maybe now that it's released on GOG, maybe I'll do that. Ultima 7, or is it 8? I stopped my playthrough of the Ultima series with 4. I'm not on the internet as, as I type this, and I'm not sure which one it is. 7 is supposed to be one of the most awesome games of the series, while 8 is supposed to be disappointing. Quest for Glory 4. If we keep playing a Quest for Glory each summer, we'll be hitting this one in 2021. I haven't played it yet. Sorry, I don't think we're going to do that every summer. <laughs> Uh, Beneath the Steel Sky. When I first heard of GOG.com, I went to check it out and found they had some free games. I made an account just to get these free games, and one of them was Beneath a Steel Sky. I've had it installed for a couple years now, but it just haven't played it. It's one of my favorite. It's it is one of the favorite games of a guy who calls himself Space Quest Historian. Uh, I got the, I got Beneath the Steel Sky also when I signed up for GOG, and um, I don't know if they still do that or not. I imagine I guess they still do, but. Uh, that's supposed to be a really good game, but I haven't played it yet either. But I, I do know who Space Quest Historian is. Cool. Uh, but okay, on to the main list. Astonishingly, I actually have 10. Top 10 games of 1994. Number 10, The Zork Anthology. 
Okay, I've only actually played Zork 1, but I had a good time. The King of the Text Adventures, uh, this is a lot of fun and frustrating because, well, it's a text adventure. All these games have been released long since, and this collection was the last gasp attempt to make some money on them. This had the original Zork 1 through 3, as well as the sequel, Beyond Zork, and the prequel, Zork Zero. All the text adventures. Zork moved on to the graphical adventures with Return, Return to Zork, which I think was published before this collection. I'm going to need you to stop seeing Zork. Yeah, right. Number nine, King's Quest Seven: Adventures of Zork. I'm just kidding. Uh, I think this was... <laughs> I think this was one. Uh, one was the Prince Princeless Bride. I had been doing a run through all the King's Quest games, and it stopped partway into this. It still had the Sierra habit of killing you a lot, and it sure was pretty. But even with the walkthrough, I ran out of interest to actually finish it. In the story, you play as the son of King uh, Graham, Graham, and I understand you eventually get married to a princess of a distant kingdom, which puts Graham and his wife in a strange situation since both of their children have married and moved away, leaving nobody else to leave the kingdom to. Number eight, The Lost... Oh, wow, this was in this. I didn't see this. The Lost Mind of Dr. Brain, sequel to The Castle of Dr. Brain and The Island of Dr. Brain. I really like these games. Uh, this, this one has you doing puzzles of various kinds in the kooky Dr. Brain setting. It's still fun, though I didn't have much chance to play it. Pretty sure it ran under Windows 3.1 and it's hard to get running. Number seven, Outpost. Okay, the version I have is billed as Outpost 1.5 and has many fixes and upgrades to the original. I had heard on, that on release, it was terribly buggy and horrible. In this version, I found it fascinating, though, uh, though it had problems. It had this meter, which would tell you if you're producing enough food, but it seems that once you had enough, uh, had a certain number of food-producing buildings, it would always say you had enough, even though you didn't. About three-fourths of my population starved to death while the meter said I had plenty of food. <laughs> Flawed, but entertaining. Oh, yeah, they're doing fine. Right? Number six, The Elder Scroll Arena, the granddad of Morrowind. Great granddad to Oblivion and so forth to Skyrim and the others. Even now, this game is astonishingly deep and interesting. This is... Uh, th this one is where they started the tradition of having you start as a prisoner. Going back, it's kind of clunky, but surprisingly playable. I'm always afraid of how engrossed I will get in it myself. Number five, Robert, TIE Fighter. Star Wars. Hell Star yeah. Uh, what can I say that hasn't been said by any number of people? Playing <laughs> this after playing X-Wing, I saw the training grounds weren't as difficult as X-Wing, so I, wondered if the, I wonder if those who play this game aren't as good at piloting as those who played X-Wing had to be. Regardless, this was great fun, and the twist of flying, flying for the bad guys was at least interesting. Most people put this as the second uh, second best space fighter simulator ever behind Free Space 2. Free Space 2. That is, that is supposed to be very, very good. I haven't heard uh, a comparison, but I, I'll have to play that sometime too. Number four. But yeah, the, 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 sorry, I just say, sorry. The X-Wing training ground missions, those are, those are a pain. All right, go on. No worries. Number four, Sid Meier's uh, Colonization. Sort of an offshoot to the original civilization, this became a good strategy game in its own right. For Civ Vets, the mechanics take a lot of getting used to, but it becomes engrossing fairly quickly. My first guest episode on the Upper Memory Block podcast was covering this game. From the time you start your first settlement, you are focused on two things. Thriving in this new land and eventually becoming free from your mother country. That's kind of cool. Uh, having each citizen specialized in a craft made it interesting, but could get micromanaged at the end. 
But the end part where you declare independence and the home country sends its Navy to drop all these troops on your shore is always quite the challenge. Number three, XCOM, UFO defense. Actually, the release for the, uh, the actually the release list for the 1994 has this listed as UFO Enemy Unknown, which was the name of the British release of the game. Excuse me. Um, I have seen several lists which have named this the best game of all time. I have played it or tried to several times, but it is just too hard for me. And the tactical combat is just knuckle biting, bitingly tense. Every time I land a team in a hot situation and the first guy to the bottom of the ramp gets shot, I just throw the throw in the towel. I wonder if there is a version where I can let the computer do the battles while I do the global management. Number two, transport tycoon. You plop down in a map and try to make money by moving people or products from from the places that produce them to the places that use them. They just call this supply chain tycoon. Uh, you can use bushes, trucks, boats, and planes. Oh, excuse me, but buses. What the hell? Uh, in time, more advanced versions. Bushes, right? Thanks. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even catch that. <laughs> I was like, bushes? What the hell does that do? Oh, oh, oh transportation <laughs> Uh, in time, more advanced versions of all of these are available to buy, and the old ones break down too much and need to be retired. This was the game I covered in my second guest episode to the Upper Memory Block, Block podcast. I just love this game, especially in, in its incarnation as the fan remake. Open TDD, TDD, excuse me. Uh, once you get some money under your belt, you can set up these supply chains. There you go. Where you take lumber from, from a forest to a sawmill, then from the sawmill to the factory, then goods from the factory to the city, getting paid for each step of the process. Optimizing your routes and beating out the competition are pretty cool too. Uh, I actually heard the episode on Upper Memory Block podcast where Father Beast was on there talking about this one. And uh, you did a good job on that one, Father Beast. You made it sound very interesting. Props from Robert Ring. It doesn't happen often. Take it while you can. Number one, Master of Magic. Obviously inspired by the original civilization, but in a fantasy setting. You can choose your starting wizard or make your own, choosing what magic books and specialties it will have. You can then choose your race, which is which is just the race of your first city. Any city settled from that city will be one of that race. But if you conquer a city with a different race in it, they will remain. You can even decide that the new city is your new representative race and do all your settings with the new guys. Interesting. Oh, settling with the new guys. Excuse me. You can hire heroes to lead your armies. You can take over magic places and increase your power. You can research new magic and you can cast spells on your, your units. On your cities, oh, excuse me, you can cast spells on your units, on your cities, across the land, in your tactical battles, and even, in a, even affect the whole world. A world, I should mention, which exists in two parallel dimensions. All this in addition to the regular Civ-like work of building up your cities and armies. Just reading through the spell book was amazing to me. I think of the spells as these toys that I can't wait to play with. There are five schools of magic, or six, depending on your point of view, but you can't get them all in one playthrough. You can either specialize and get get all the spells in one area, or de-specialize and get the some spells from several. If you played Master of Orion 2, you will, you will see how much the, that game was inspired by this one. But those mechanics make a lot more sense here. This game is just rich and varied with uh, and varied that it takes a while to get old, even though the graphics are really primitive and it lands as number one of the year. Okay, hopefully you guys use that intermission to get a drink and use the bathroom. <laughs> this was a long one. 
Next time, we should start our next game of the quarter. And since we played Quest for Glory last summer, this time I'm voting that we play Quest for Glory 2 this summer. There's a fan remake that gets rid of the text parser, so that's what I'm going to play. In fact, I think I'm going to play it whether or not you guys play along with me. Whatever you guys decide, I'm still listening. Father Beast. Sorry about Quest for Glory 2, but Mr. Mosquito is probably pretty much the same thing. Um, Thank you very much, Father Beast, for the long, yet very interesting, nonetheless, email. Uh, You always have a, I don't know, something about his take on things. It's like, I don't know. I really like always hearing his thoughts on, on this stuff. Oh, likewise. All right. Thank you again, Father Beast. Next one is from Dan. Dan says, Hi, Classic Gaming Podcast. I was sad to hear that you didn't like Afterlife on the podcast last week. I played that game a ton when I was a kid, and I think you missed a lot of the strategy that was there. The biggest thing that you didn't talk about was the effect of Earth's religion on the game. One of the premises of the game was that when was that what happened to people when they died was based on what they believed. You could spend money to affect people's religious beliefs and how they behaved on Earth, and that gave you the ability to control population flows and demand for the different types of reward, excuse me, and punishment zones. Um, okay, yeah, I knew that you could do something along those lines, but I didn't know that it went that deep. So, uh, yeah, you're right, Dan. I, I did just kind of miss this, miss that. Then that, that that one's my bad. Uh, He says, for example, if you wanted to increase the population of hell, you could make people believe they'd go to hell no matter how good they were. Or if you wanted to slow down the rate of people coming to both heaven and hell, you could promote the belief that there was no afterlife at all. Or you could slow down how quickly people, how quickly people left the afterlife by decreasing their belief, by decreasing their belief in reincarnation. One of the strategies I remember employing a lot was to make people on earth extremely lustful and wrathful which made Earth's population explode (laughs) and also got a ton of people killed in wars, which ensured a steady population influx. All right. That's actually pretty cool right there. I am that I am sorry that I missed that. Cause that's pretty interesting. Maybe the main problem you were experiencing with the game is that it was from an era when you were expected to read the instruction manual. Yeah. I think that probably does have a lot to do with it. You said on the podcast that the road and zoning layout didn't matter, but the actual mechanic in the game was that in heaven you were rewarded for an efficient road system and diverse zoning patterns, whereas in hell, the buildings got more efficient if you forced the souls to walk long distances to get their punishments and had giant plots zoned for just one type of building. I don't think there was anything in the game that would tip you off to that, though, so it probably just seemed random or irrelevant. Yeah, once again, I didn't know that at all. I'm, I'm sure it was a uh instruction manual thing that i just didn't miss but that's honestly kind of interesting as well anyway i don't think that i'd recommend going back to the game since in the end it does boil down to being a pretty standard sim game but i do think there's a lot more depth than you gave it credit for dan yeah dan sorry i you're i think (laughs) i think you're probably right does sound like maybe i just missed out a little bit on (laughs) some of the mechanics there so thank you for that clarification um let's see next is uh, uh, this one's anonymous. He says, Hey guys, Diablo was the first game that I really fell into and put a lot of time into. I hadn't played anything like it before. And it was everything I wanted in a game at the time. I was 10 years old and it was the last time my father played a game with my brother and I, and was actually better at, <laughs> and was actually better at first. I have a ton of nostalgia for this in Diablo two, 
which is just a better version in every way. Really fun getting to play it again for the show. Thanks to Gog. Awesome. Cool. Thank you very much. Um, all right. This one is from Bo. Subject line. Oh, hi, CGP. He says, sorry. Uh, sorry. Been very absent from, from listening and emailing. Sad face. Swamped with learning speed runs and IRL stuff and my work PC crashing when trying to stream podcasts now. Oh, that sucks. Caught your tweet about this week's top 10. Had a few mins. So here they be. Smiley face. Top 10 1994 games in kind of best to worst order. Okay, so he's so he's best ones first and then they go down. So it's like 1 to 10 basically. First one he lists is Breath of Fire 2. I've already stated my love for this for the first game and this one. Really a must play for RPG fans. Next one, D&D Tower of Doom. Best coin eater of 1994 hands down. D&D beat him up. Dragons, Branching Paths, Multiplayer, Wonderful. Next one is Lunar Eternal Blue. Wonderful series, really enjoyed it. Great option for RPG fans. Uh, the fourth one he lists is Windjammers. Second best coin eater of 1994, hands down. I hear this thing is still played in regular tournaments. I never got that good, but man, it was fun. I've never played this game, but I've heard a lot about it. Uh, next is Samurai Showdown 2. This was one that I wished I had played also, but I, but I hadn't played it. Uh, Bo says, I loved I loved it in the arcade and on my SNES. I was drawn to the aesthetic and the samurai theme. Granted, not legit samurai material here, strictly speaking, but certainly fits the romanticized version and is a solid fighting game to boot. Next up is Zoda's Revenge, colon, Star Tropics 2. NES game? In with all these 16-bit titles? Damn right. Well done sequel to a niche but great first game. Next up is Stunt Race FX. SNES had that 3D thing going on. This was a fun, albeit laggy and quirky, racer using that tech. Uh, next is uh, Earthworm Jim for Sega Genesis. I preferred the Sega one myself, but was good. But it was good on both SNES and Sega. I didn't really know the character, but I didn't really know the character. But it was a fun and amusing game, despite being really difficult and obtuse at times. That's exactly, pretty much everything he said there is exactly how I remember it. Killer Instinct. It wasn't Street Fighter. It wasn't Mortal Kombat. It wasn't the best of fighters, but it was one my brother and I sunk many hours into on Genesis. I could pwn with Orchid like nobody's biz. <laughs> and then last one he lists is Sim Tower. I wish I had played Sim Tower. Uh, neat take on the Sim game setup. I spent many hours growing and optimizing my tower. Not perfect, but certainly I enjoyed it. I figure Final Fantasy VI and Earthbound, kind of cliche, but not sure they're actually top 10 for me. I didn't get to replay Diablo for the game of the quarter, but I did beat the living crap out of it in high school. All three classes, all difficulties, damn. Mage is still my favorite, Warrior still my least favorite. Hmm. Keep being you and hopefully I can catch up and listen more soon, Bo. Aww. Uh, as I was reading that, we just got another email from our friend Jeff, but we do have two more to get to before we get to him. So, uh, this one is from Nate. Nate says, hope I'm not too late on this one, but I was psyched. You guys chose Diablo for the game of the quarter. I decided to grab the GOG version and hack through a few floors. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> 
Me and my buddy used to play this game so much in first year university, we almost failed out. Actually, I think maybe he did. (laughs) He had a car and our moms had arranged he was going to drive me every day, but usually he'd just come in and we'd start a Diablo-thon. That's so funny. That's the priorities right there. So when I started this playthrough, I worried just a bit I'd lose my job. Definitely a bit of that addictiveness returned, although although the game is obviously uh, a bit dated now. It's still very playable and well worth the $10 splurge. I love that they kept it 100% authentic with the item duping. I only cheated a little, although I didn't try to get multiplayer working. We used to spend hours on lines, online. Sometimes you'd have a, quote, legit character you weren't supposed to use any duping with, and a, quote, no PK rooms where people weren't supposed to toast you. Of course, people didn't always follow those codes of honor. While I was, sorry, while it was overall a favorable return to an old favorite, a few annoyances popped up. Forgetting to save can be very annoying. Oh, Obvious- yeah. Oh, yeah. Obviously spoiled by auto-saving in a lot of modern games, I had a very frustrating death that reminded me to obsessively save almost every kill. Um, I, I I don't rely on auto-saving very much at all, so that wasn't a problem for me. But w- one thing I was worried about was that since there, you only have one save, uh, I was always concerned that I was going to save at a bad time where I basically got my game yeah. stuck. Maybe that's like <laughs> due to my experience with... You know, point and click adventure point games. Point clicks, yeah. But um, I was always afraid that I was going to do it. And there was, for some reason, going to be some... For some reason, I was going to not be able to, like, go back to town or something like that. And I was going to be stuck with, like, low health and just getting killed by something, like, in some weird situation that I couldn't get out of. That never happened, but I was always just paranoid that that was going to happen. Um, uh, his other annoyances. Not being able to run can make things a bit tedious if you're doubling back to finish a quest. Oh, especially yeah. before town portals became really easy. Yeah. And that also reminds me of, uh, how, how spread out a couple of the people are in town. Uh, mm. particularly the witch and the little kid that you can buy like special stuff from. Or- I would just skip them most of the time. Cause it was such a pain to travel so far to go yep. buy stuff from them or sell to them or whatever. Um, and then he says having to scroll all the way down to the bottom in the blacksmith or which is inventory menu every time is a slight annoyance when updating your gear and items. Also, it's hard to play in a trackpad, but I did play it on a plane for a few minutes just to see if I could and probably looked like a gigantic nerd, but I don't care. This game is worth it. Thanks for the great podcast, guys. Nate. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Nate. Glad you enjoyed it. All right. uh, Jay, why don't you take this one? This one is from Chase the Night Cleaner. Senor Chase. Chase says, hello, gentlemen. Chase the Night Cleaner here with a quickie for you. (laughs) I hope you are both well and that by this point in the show, you have realized that 1994 was an amazing year for gaming. I am well, Robert. Uh, Good enough. And yes, we did talk about how amazing 1994 was. And I said, fuck you to Robert at the beginning of this episode because of how (laughs) difficult it was to narrow down to 10. Um, Chase goes on to say Super Metroid, Sonic and Knuckles, Super Street Fighter 2 on console, Warcraft 1, and Final Fantasy 3 North American release, to name a few. Also, a little secret about Chase, I used to love playing Diablo on my PlayStation of all things. It was way better on PC, but I didn't know it that at the time. So now for the question of the day. Did you ever feel did you ever like a version of a game that was inferior compared to the game on other systems, but you loved it anyways? Um, ooh. 
I'm sorry, I got nothing for this one. Game and other systems, but you loved it anyways. The only thing I can think of is, um, is it Command and Conquer was for the 64? I believe was it Red Alert? Red Alert. One of them was awful. It was so bad. Yeah, it was N64. I used to play it on the N64 and PlayStation because my buddy had one of my buddies had one and the other one had the other, and I played it on computer. And it's Command and Conquer, actually. It wasn't Red Alert. It's Command and Conquer. And it is a terrible way to play the game. Imagine trying to play an RTS, Robert, with a controller. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. But it was really fun for some dumbass reason. And I actually invested a lot of time into it. And at the time, I had no idea but how, how ridiculous it was. But it actually was a pretty enjoyable experience. I wouldn't say it was superior necessarily, but it was it was enjoyable nonetheless. Okay. Chase uh, closes out by saying, and that is it for me today, gentlemen. Thank you as always for the amazing show and for all that you do. Cheers, Chase, the night cleaner. Chase, thank you as always. Yeah, thanks, Chase. I'm sorry. I can, yeah, I can't think of anything for that one. All right, last one from Mr. Jeff Jeffrey. Top eight, he says, I have nothing interesting to say. Here's my top eight games of 1994. Number eight, Maximum Carnage for Genesis. Number seven, Ken Griffey Jr. presents Major League Baseball. Number six, Final Fantasy VI. Number five, Castlevania Bloodlines. Number four, Breath of Fire Two. Number three, Lunar Two, Eternal Blue. Number two, Earthbound. Number one, Super Metroid. Jeffrey. Wow. Short and sweet. Uh, how you feel about that list, Jay? Pretty solid. Yeah. Don't mind say, it. I'd say so as well. Um, and that may wrap it up, actually. Um, that's definitely all the emails. Let's see. Recapping. Looks like we covered uh, everything. Current gaming subcast. Jay, you got anything? Uh, no. No. I'm freaking exhausted at this point. I got nothing left. <laughs> I am too. Uh, the, the one... I will mention one game real quick. Uh, I've been playing Void Bastards which just came out a week or so ago. And it's a really cool game. It's kind of a... Uh, it's 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 a run-based game. It's a, uh, it's a it's actually a first-person shooter, but it, it's, it doesn't have... Uh, it doesn't feel like it's... I'm trying to think of a good way to describe this. Obviously, I'm having a little trouble. It, it doesn't feel like a shooter game. I mean, obviously, it is first-person. You're shooting things, but... It's not like you're going in and just shooting bad guys. What you're doing is, uh, so kind of like this, the, the framework that they have set up for it is you are, you wake up and you're a prisoner and you have been basically reconstituted because in this, it's, it's a real comic booky kind of style. And even the graphics are real comic booky, and it, and the graphics are really good. They look really cool. But everything's looks like a comic book. And the way they've set it up is, it's like way in the future. What they do with prisoners is they don't they don't cryogenically freeze them. They freeze dry them. So they <laughs> basically dehydrate them to preserve them. So you're unconscious. You've been woken up. You've been re reconstituted. And they're saying, okay, the uh, this ship has or broken down or something like that. You, we want you to travel and go find these parts to make this and that so that we can fix the ship. And if you do this, then we'll, uh, it's like they're, they're saying they're going to 
commute part of your sentence or something like that. So what you're doing is, is you're in this part of space where there's all these derelict, there's all these other ships and they're all derelict because something happened and uh, all like the crew have been killed on all of them for some reason. And now they're inhabited by these kind of sort of like not ghosts, but kind of uh ghost like alien, like beings that are that, that more or less haunt the ships, but they're, but they're, but they're actual physical beings. And so what you're doing is you're traveling from ship to ship, kind of like FTL style. When you look at the map, it's like, Oh, okay. This is, FTL inspired heavily because it'll show your point and it's got like little dotted lines to all the places that you can go to. And you go again, you're going from ship to ship, you go to a ship and then you basically, uh, do a run on that ship where you enter it and you run around trying to find as much supplies and loot as you can while losing as little health as you can. Uh, and also not using up all your oxygen and then getting back safely, whether that's whether you're completing, looking at every single room and getting all the loot or whether, you know, maybe it might be a difficult ship. So you can only get certain, you know, get to certain rooms. Then you feel like maybe the rest aren't quite worth the risk. So then you run back, uh, without finishing the whole thing. That's, that's kind of a big part of the gameplay. As you're doing this, you're building up, uh, you're, 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 you're building, you're constructing new weapons based on the stuff you find. And of course, you're also trying to find the loot that you're trying to find for your main mission. If you die, then you start back at the beginning with every, 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 you're starting as a new character. They're like, okay, now you're being, you're the next prisoner that we're going to reconstitute. You're going to take over where this last guy left off. You still have all the equipment that he built up, but you don't have the fuel and food that he had. So those are things that you use to heal and also to, to be able to continue traveling throughout the, uh, throughout the system. And so. It's, it's this, it's this fun loop where you're, it's, you're constantly like, you know, do I need to risk going into this room where there might be tons of bad guys? My health is getting low. Should I just run back now? What do I do? And at first I'll say I was a little bit, uh, so at the very first I was like, oh, this is really cool. Then after I played for a little while, I was like, this is actually a little bit easy. I don't really have to worry too much about my oxygen and my health. I got like really, really far on my very first run. But it turns out like once you get kind of past the, once you kind of con- construct the first main thing that it has you build, then once you go on from there, then the, then it, the difficulty does go up a bit. So it does start getting a little bit uh, more difficult. So if, if you try playing this game and you get turned off a little bit at first, cause it just seems too easy and not all that interesting, keep on pushing through for a little while because it does get harder. And then for me, that's where it starts getting a lot more fun is, is once they start ramping the difficulty up a little bit, but Anyway, it's a really cool game, uh, and I haven't seen this type of game done in the first-person shooter style, and I think it works really well. So, that's all I'll say. I'll keep this one short and sweet in the in the uh, in the vein of of Jeffrey Walker, who who I'm inspired <laughs> by keeping things short and sweet. By this is a cool game. I recommend you check it out if it sounds like something you may be interested in. Aside from that, all I've got that's all I got for the current gaming subcast. Um, so, our next game of the quarter, which we will be discussing at the end of September is uh, Mr. Mosquito for PS2. Our next top five is uh, top five Tetris-like games. And um, Jay, is there anything else? No, I think you covered everything. All right, then thank you all very much for listening. Don't forget to uh, leave us amazing reviews on iTunes. Tell all your friends to listen to us. Send us emails, mail at classicgamingpodcast.com to talk about whatever you want to, including 
your top five Tetris like games. Follow us on Twitter at Class Gamescast. I'm at King Octavius. And uh, Jay, if, that, if you're still good, then I'm still good. And we will see everybody in three weeks. Sounds good. All right. Thank you all for listening. Bye bye.